So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome back to The Bizzle cast. Here tonight, I am thrilled to bring back my buddy Tim Jurassi of The Saga Continues, which, as you Bizzlers know, is my favorite Star Wars podcast out there. Tim, we've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight, <laughs> because since last time we talked, Solo's been out for a while, the Comic-Con announcement happened, and all sorts of things to, to revisit and new territories to go to but first of all thank you so much for coming back and welcome ah no problem thanks for having me on it's great to be back so like you said a lot of stuff has happened oh <laughs> yes a lot of time. <laughs> so just to set the scene man so it's been a couple i think about two months almost exactly since you were on so let me set the scene here one the last time you were on soul had only been out a couple uh weeks you had seen it twice i had seen it three times we were all uh, flabbergasted as to why the fan response was so great but the the commercial uh response was was less great um we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit because that is starting to change when we see the fact that dvds are essentially sold out across the internet for solo a star wars story as i posted earlier today we also talked about tim i want to give us a couple pats on the back here one of the things we talked about was how both the negativity of the fans and lucasfilm you know sort of stumbling and being behind the eight ball were both being way overstated and when you look at the comic-con announcements about the clone wars and the books and the comics and so forth was we're going to get into just generally i think we were pretty much right on about being positive on, on both the fan side and lucasfilm side so to get us started thoughts on that no yeah i mean even after the disappointment of solo's box office and everything even though you and me really enjoyed the movie oh, yeah. it was still you know kind of a little disappointing to see that but i just knew you know because everyone was it was almost like doom and gloom <laughs> among star wars and they were like what's the what does the future hold but we knew we just had to get through that little rough time period and then there's going to be some more great stuff coming along the way now i didn't think it would be the return of clone wars mm. but <laughs> Like, yeah, that's just, you know, talk about a way to change an outlook on, you know, <laughs> certain things that are coming on the horizon. Because, you know, we we're talking about all the uncertainty regarding the standalone movies and what Lucasfilm's going to do. But, man, get the announcement that Clone Wars is coming back. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was something that was unexpected. But at the same time, probably one of the best news, <laughs> Star Wars news, I think we've ever could have gone. I'd, probably not quite on the level as far as when we got the first announcement in 2012 about episode seven, eight, nine, and all Disney buying Lucasfilm and all that stuff, because nothing's going to top that excitement. But sure. this is probably not too far behind it because I never would have thought that Clone Wars would be coming back. I always had a hope that we'd get the last arc finished, which would be the Siege of Mandalore, and I'd be happy with that. You know, thinking, okay, we got our definitive ending for the series. I'm good with, you know, completely moving on from Clone Wars. But the fact that it's, you know, we're getting 12 episodes. I mean, it's going to be incredible to get to see more Clone Wars and more so than I ever thought we would. So, yeah, this 
like like I said before, the first part of the early run of Solo, a little disappointment around there, but things quickly turned around <laughs> to start getting that excitement back for what's coming down the pipe for Star Wars content. Absolutely. Just the fact that you are putting the Clone Wars announcement even in, you know, a similar <laughs> sphere as the 2012 announcement, of course, you know, Force Awakens in 2015 is emblematic of how excited the fan base is about the Clone Wars coming back as mm-hmm. they are excited about great new books by some of their favorite authors like Claudia Gray and E.K. Johnson, as they are excited about Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, um, and Padme and so forth coming back in the literature and so forth. But Tim, before we get into this, I need to bring up something that you and I definitely agree upon, but I cannot say enough. And, and you know, that, you, you, you're a very positive diplomatic guy, but I know we agree on this issue, which is Kathleen Kennedy does not get enough uh, compliments. And I think it's interesting how she gets crushed when things seemingly aren't going well, but then when everything turns around so quickly, everyone's quick to praise everybody but Kathleen Kennedy. So we just get a quick Kathleen Kennedy praise here, or at least Lucasfilm for having a plan long before The Last Jedi disappointed some fans and Han Solo disappointed at the box office. Oh yeah, definitely. I, you're right. We're definitely in agreement there. At all, you know, Kathleen Kennedy doing an amazing job so far, despite you know just you know stuff that happens in production that and certain box office disappointments, which are going to happen <laughs> during the company's, uh, especially film studios, running putting out movies ever so often. So yeah, but again, going back to like I said, the planning and stuff for Clone Wars. I mean, we got to give major props for Lucasfilm for that because we always thought that it was something they moved on from yep i mean i accepted it i'm sure a lot of other fans accept accepted despite having the hope that maybe there's a little something they can give for fans to really full finish the story but i said this before too on our last episode or the clone wars episode actually but i wanted to be in that room like who was in that room when lucasfilm was deciding okay uh-huh. we're gonna bring back clone wars and we're just gonna go on this disney streaming service like yep. who was the like instigator in that (laughs) like who really was like the one you know who was the first person who said we're going to bring back clone wars or we could bring back clone wars i mean to me that's just such a you know fascinating discussion i would have loved to hear like be a fly on the wall of that meeting about you know the the ideas of bringing back the clone wars because it just makes total sense when you think about it and how it's going to be the perfect fit on that disney streaming Mm. service and that was something maybe I should have thought realized it a while ago, but mm-hmm. I always just my hope was that we'd get a Siege of Mandalore animated movie released on Blu-ray, and that would be it. But the Disney streaming service, I mean, it should have clicked with me a while ago that that could be the perfect format to release it on. And mm-hmm. as we know now, that we're going to begin subsequent episodes yes. with that. So it just uh-huh. makes total sense. And just you know, like you said, got to give props to Lucasfilm for realizing that that new medium now could be the perfect place to bring back the Clone Wars and, you know, give something back to those diehard fans who've been wanting to, you know, the hashtag save the Clone Wars ever since 20, yep. was it 2013 when it got announced, I believe uh-huh. that was not coming back. So, I mean, just, you know, showing the fans that they appreciated, appreciated them for sticking with and providing, you know, you know, not content, but <laughs> getting the word out that they still love this show and wanted to support it. And, you know, there were some fans who went a little too extreme there so, <laughs> with the Save the Clone Wars campaign. But the ones who were really passionate about it and, you know, weren't bad-mouthing Lucasfilm because, or bad-mouthing Rebels and not giving it the time of day just because it was a Clone Wars. Those fans were kind of a little on the extreme side. But for those other ones who just loved Clone Wars so much and wanted to see it come back and did it, you know, shared it in, you know, a positive way, uh, they're being rewarded. Definitely, you got to give props to Lucasfilm for that. So, yeah, I am in total agreement with you. 
Absolutely. And three quick points on that, and we'll move into the main thing. I was going to say I don't like to pat myself on the back, but BizzleCast listeners, you know when I make a right prediction, I do occasionally pat myself <laughs> on the back. And Tim... And why not? <laughs> in both of our podcasts, I talked extensively about the Siege of Mandalore being inevitable and happening. So I'm thrilled to see it um, in, in this form. Although I didn't predict... You know, I thought it would maybe be live action. The Clone Wars coming back, I didn't see coming. But I've been talking about this for over a year since I really got deep dive into the Clone Wars. And, Rebels. and by the way, one of the many reasons... I I love you three, you and Kyle and Paul, is that even though you guys are such hardcore deep dive guys who have been doing this for years, you know, you embrace people whenever they come to, to the properties, you know, and even though I've been a hardcore Star Wars fan literally as long as you and Paul, because we're so close in age, Kyle's a bit mm-hmm. of a young and young buck, um, yeah. but <laughs> Clone Wars, as I've said many times on the podcast, I, I did come to a bit later, sort of post Rogue One and watching Rebels and so forth, and I love, and I've now done a complete rewatch of the series, and I love it, and I'm going to be doing commentaries for that, and Rebels, and, and we're definitely talking about Clone Wars and Rebels tonight. The second thing I want to mention about this, Tim, was, you know, for people to think, well, this was just a reaction to negative, you know, response to Last Jedi and sort of apathetic <laughs> response to Solo. Guys, if you ever listen to Dave Filoni talk, they plan these things over a year in advance, okay? Mm-hmm. So they plan... Sometimes longer. Yeah, yeah sometimes <laughs> longer. So it, it, I actually want to hear from you when we get deeper into Rebels about the Filoni commentaries and so forth, which you've talked about in your uh, podcast listening to Rebel Season 4, but to think they weren't already planning on bringing back lots of new, uh, I should say, bringing in lots of new literature from the prequel eras and bringing the Clone Wars back uh, was definitely planned at least a year ago, and on top of that, it wasn't the extremists that you talked about, you know, bring back the Clone Wars, Disney or Die kind of thing, but the general Star Wars fans who love the Clone Wars, who love Ahsoka and Anakin and Obi-Wan, who wanted to come back in a positive way, not people who demand it and as i'm always talking about we don't deserve anything but if you express mm. your love and passion in a positive way lucasfilm and companies like that will you know will bring stuff to us because guys like uh filoni and people like kathleen kennedy recognize that right so i think we should be praising the general star wars audience for showing so much love for clone wars over the years rather than the extremists bring back clone wars or we're going to bring the end of the world people right yeah, yeah. totally it's just ridiculous that there are some fans who think that this is just a reaction based off of what happened with solo and the last jedi to get some fans back like you said there's no way <laughs> you think they just barely got that trailer up and not finished footage and animation and the voice recording done in that short amount of time <laughs> no way and then you're talking about the books that's that's, that's even more ridiculous giving the authors enough time to write it because those release dates are pretty close it's like early 2019 for some of those new books that were announced you think the authors have enough that short amount of time to write it and go through editing and all that no it's ridiculous so yeah it's kind of disappointing when you hear some of that reaction and feedback from some people who keep saying that or just always trying to look for the negative and the good stuff that we get to yeah and you know i know you're a dc guy i don't want to make this a non-star wars podcast but in related to the the insanity among certain you know quote-unquote super fans over the last year or two in star wars ruby rose getting crushed for the cw batwoman thing is probably the most predictable reaction of the century right i mean i remember reading that headline and being like this is horrible but i totally saw this coming and i'm so sick of this nonsense at the same time people seem to be moving on faster in general in the nerd universe because we realize we are the majority and the minority is very loud and horrible but in general we are the majority and like i said kathleen filoni and those people pablo and the story group are bringing us these great things because of us and not because of the loud majority or yeah. sorry minority the loud oh, tiny minority who's very loud 
Totally. Yeah, definitely. And again, it's just, it is sucks that now we kind of have to expect some of that backlash, like no matter what it is, no matter what franchise it seems to be, whenever there's some big news or announcement, whether it's casting or whatever, there's always going to be those vocal minorities that has to, you know, ruin it for Absolutely. you know right. people involved and then the other, the positive fans. So yeah, it's yeah. just sad that it is something that happened that's happening more and more now. Okay, guys. So we're going to skip past the haters because I don't want to give them that much airtime because they're becoming increasingly <laughs> irrelevant. Also in the last two months, Tim, though, another prediction, but sort of prediction slash hope that I've been making in the last six months or whatever since Last Jedi was that the positive majority of Star Wars fans would start to come together on online and offline, but especially online and kind of close ranks. And, uh, you know, it's been effective in driving certain horrible people either off Twitter, you know, or just it marginalizing them and people realizing that we are better united and that the majority is together and in, in wanting a future. And let's be honest, whatever you think of The Last Jedi, for the most part, if you're a real, you know, good, positive Star Wars fan, we can say we've loved or liked most of, of what's come out. And, and I, I want to bridge into um, the, the Comic-Con announcements with that. And I, I do want to talk about the books and the comics, man, because something I've gotten to more, uh, especially the comics more recently, um, but we do have to start with the Clone Wars announcement, but again, to sort of uh, to make uh, that bridge, I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of hypothesizing here. And again, you know, this is just guys are are um, reading between the lines. This is Tim. You know, I mean, you started writing f- about the Clone Wars when back in 2012. Okay, yeah. 2012. So like summer 2012. Mm-hmm. So if, if you had to put yourself behind the scenes with as much you, as you consume both the on-screen and the behind-the-scenes stuff, you know, and really loving Filoni and those guys and you know, following this stuff, loving the properties, loving the Clone Wars, as we said, the plan to bring this stuff back was well before anything having to do with Last Jedi or Solo or so forth. What do you think was like the tipping point, if you had to guess from Kathleen, Dave, and so forth behind the scenes where they were like, we were going to do this? Or is this maybe even many years older than we think and in, in, in plans before rebels even ended mm. yeah i think probably maybe a little bit before rebels ended because i've always said this that again i'm going back to siege of mandalore mm-hmm. that there was something you know dave filoni has hinted at it in certain stories in certain episodes of rebels we knew it was an important piece of star wars history and specifically clone wars history um giving the little hints that dave filoni said about it so i always knew that you know he's been holding on to it for a while he's not turning it into a novel there's not a comic book adaption being made for it and yet we've gotten other big story events that happened during the clone wars that were turned into comics or novels because they were important stories and they story group and dave filoni probably wanted to get that out so fans could have those stories told and but siege of mandalore was always left off that and we knew how important it was so again going back to my original thoughts that i was saying at the beginning about there was i knew some dave filoni was holding on for something special about that so um i think it went back yeah see i would think probably like season three of rebels i would Mm. think like kind of you know getting ready to and prepping for the final season of rebels at the same time you know, other responsibility that Dave Filoni is going to be taking on. Because if you remember during like the middle of season three, Dave Filoni was nowhere on those uh, Rebels Recon videos. And that's when Justin Ridge kind of took over as supervising director. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, again, thinking, okay, Dave Filoni is doing other animated projects. Obviously, Forces of Destiny was going on that, or soon after that. And then we got the Resistance announcement. But then, yeah, 
<laughs> again, that excitement and shock of knowing that Clone Wars was part of what Dave Filoni was doing amongst that time of moving away from Rebels. It's just, wow. <laughs> I mean, it's exciting to think, go back and think about how now when you look at Dave Filoni not being involved as much as he was in the final days of Rebels, but now knowing it's because of probably getting the gang back together for Clone Wars, it's just awesome to think about. So, yeah, I would say probably around like the midpoint of season three, or at some point during season Which three. Which is, let's I, be clear, saw, in terms of production, was like three years ago. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think this they probably came to a decision about Rebels ending, then after that is probably, I think, where ideas maybe were getting thrown around about what should we do next in star wars animation and just the idea in general to grow star wars animation not just have it be one animated show and that's it but have several uh, projects in production like forces of destiny resistance and now clone wars and just expanding the animation department of lucasfilm i think is just exciting in general as well so and the Mm -hmm. fact that you know dave filoni kind of has hands in all those and just oversees Everything in Star Wars animation, even though he's not like directly involved, like Resistance is like he's going to be, or he's not involved in Resistance as much as he was with Rebels and Clone Wars. He just kind of got it off the ground and gave it to the hands of his trusted crew. But it's just great to know that he's overseeing everything in Star Wars animation because there's, as we all know and have said plenty of times before, there's no one better than Dave Maloney at the helm when it comes to Star Wars animation, and I hopefully beyond animation because i think he has the chops to just yes. tackle any yes. topic of star wars in any medium yes. film books animation obviously video games anything as long as you see the dave filoni name anywhere you know it's going to be great but let's be clear dave filoni deserves as much power and responsibility as he wants in all spheres of creativity but he should not be running the company because that's not what he wants he is a brilliant creative and artistic genius and specifically kathleen kennedy is there to be the punching bag for the public but also to get things done behind the scenes we should not want dave filoni to run because i've heard this in some circles we should not want dave filoni to run lucasfilm now whether he runs the story group from a creative standpoint that's another story and i don't really know honestly if it's a round table or whether it's like a king arthur round table where there's arthur (laughs) and the knights and you know like so Uh if he wants to be the king arthur of the creative round table fine but we should not want filoni to be sort of an executive director of you know logistics and business nor does he want to that would be a waste of his talent and we should not want to take him away and it's specifically because we get things like clone wars coming back right exactly yeah and i've heard those same things too i think it's just an easy thing for people to say even though they're not realizing what they're saying because yeah you don't want him in charge of lucasfilm as a company but you know if you say something like lucasfilm gets more franchises off the ground like indiana jones along with star wars and just other new projects they have and you want to make dave filoni like the charge of the star wars section of it then yeah <laughs> that would be some like you said more of the creative aspect of things involved with the story group so yeah i'm with you on that one as well yeah and i think you know again the way i defended uh, kathleen uh when it came to ryan johnson was you can blame Kathleen for letting Ryan Johnson do whatever he wanted creatively, but we also should Mm -hmm. praise Kathleen for letting people like Ryan Johnson experiment creatively. And I think Ryan Johnson has his best ahead of him, even though not all of us are crazy about all of what goes on in The Last Jedi. And I think the fact that people like you and me and your fellow podcasters are still very positive about Ryan Johnson in general, that's an attitude I would like to see more people take because he's clearly a brilliant creative mind. He loves the property. He's devoting his life to it. And let's be honest, Ryan 
Ryan Johnson could be making artsy films that gross a lot of money, not for Star Wars for the rest of his life if he wanted to, you know? And the mm. Game of Thrones guys could literally do whatever they wanted to, you know? They're leaving a franchise at its peak to come work for Star Wars for the indefinite future. John Favreau, we know, can do stuff for Disney and other people. And so I'm always saying about executives, you know, I used to work in the music business. Look at, don't just judge the executive. Look at who's working for the executive and how they're treated and the amount of freedom the creative freedom that they're given and again the clone wars announcements as well as everything else to me shows that if you want to fault kathleen for anything it's giving her people too much creative freedom which for me is like not really a sin obviously there's been some bumps in the road but you know for her one error is to give her people too much creative freedom i think it is kind of silly at the same time i mean she knows when to not let people go too far. Obviously, what's shown with yeah. uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller yeah. getting them yeah. off the solo, and then Colin Trevorrow as well. So two words: was, Ron Howard. Guess what? Mm-hmm. Great decision. And the fact that you can't even get the Blu-ray and DVD on half the internet right now just shows that the the, the interest in this is going to go up, and people are, are interested beyond the initial release. But clearly, that was a better film than we were going to probably get. Yeah, I, I'm a firm believer of that. I think I said that on our last episode oh, yeah. where we talked about it. I, I mean, I asked you straight up knowing Howard your answer. Right I knew what yeah. your answer was going to be, but I had to ask. I asked you straight up because I just listened to it the other day. I asked you straight <laughs> up if, if it was a good idea to bring in Ron Howard. And we were both like, yeah, that was a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, man. All right. Well, I, we also should mention, by the way, Tim, and I want to talk about some other properties um, within Star Wars is... Star Wars, it seemed in the last couple of years, was moving away from Comic-Con and doing everything at D23 and Celebration and so forth. By the mm-hmm. way, Tim, since our last podcast, I got Star Wars Celebration tickets. <laughs> ah, nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm going... Uh, f- yeah. Wish I could be joining you guys down I know. there. I know. Well, the, 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 what put me over the top was that I, I have family and a place to stay. And so... Oh, that's, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, because the accommodations cost way more than the tickets, which somehow are like $75 a day, which is unbelievably affordable for what it is. And that's why part of the reason they moved to such a big center. I'm going Friday and Sunday and just spending the week in Chicago with family and friends. Oh, nice. So I'm very excited about that. Mostly to meet people. Um, you know, meet... Well, I wish you were going. Maybe that'll change but meet you know meet some podcast friends online who have never met before and just interact with the community i'm not big on like i need to go to this or that panel like i will if it's great um i'm sure the episode one you know 20th anniversary stuff and so forth um will um uh you know will, will be cool but i mostly just want to mingle see all the different people the diversity and so forth but you know uh, let's be honest again we didn't think they would make such a big splash in comic-con and the fact that the clone wars uh, panel video like out view was out viewed like more than even like Aquaman and that stuff is is shocking and makes me really happy. Same here, yeah. I mean, this was a great Comic Con. It got kicked off right with the Clone Wars, oh, but yeah. even like you mentioned, all the DC trailers were awesome. I loved Aquaman, Shazam, yeah. Godzilla. I think the Spider Man animated movie, the Bumblebee yeah. movie, which I'm actually excited for. I mean, there's so much good stuff. But at the same time, nothing was no. going to top that Clone Wars trailer and announcement. It just set the bar so high, <laughs> just yeah. being diehard Clone Wars fans. But and it, yeah, so yeah. it got it kicked off with a bang, and it was going to be hard to top that, which I knew it wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, how if you love Star Wars and the people involved, 
how can you not love the reveal, Filoni's smile, Ashley Eckstein crying from happiness, Matt Lanter pumping mm-hmm. his fist, getting, I mean, Matt Lanter, you have to realize, guys, is a very, very much on the rise TV and movie actor who was not, who was admittedly not a giant Star Wars fan before all this, handpicked by George Lucas, and is now like one of the biggest cheerleaders for the property. He was so pumped. It was so great to see. Yeah, I also love too. Um, going back, even following on Twitter, but then when I actually watched the full panel for those who recorded it there, um, this what a great job Dave Filoni and the cast did as far as kind of not giving their hand and saying that Clone Wars is coming back, still talking like, oh, this is the end, or like it was fun, or there was all the unused like story uh, concept art that we never got to do. It's just like, yeah, it's kind of disappointing. We never got to finish it and all that. And I will say, I said this on Twitter too, um, because throughout the whole panel, I was thinking, come on, see Jamando or announcements. They're saving that for the end. But then once Dave Filoni started showing concept art and talking about the Siege of Mandalore and how, you know, it was going to be the last arc and all that stuff we've heard before, I was thinking, oh, okay, better lower my expectations. If he's talking about concept art and, you know, telling how it was never finished and all that, I don't think we're going to get an announcement. So mm-hmm. that just made it even more better <laughs> once that trailer yeah. did come up because they like i said did a great job of downplaying it and really just making it a celebration of the 10-year anniversary for what we've got and what we didn't get sadly but man yeah Mm -hmm. they just did a great job all the way around (laughs) keeping it a surprise because what a surprise it was yeah and i actually want to talk briefly about the episode nine cast announcements uh, along those lines i think part of the reason they announced mark hamill was because he can't keep a secret for shit and they were like this is gonna leak in 18 months we should just tell everybody it's Uh, a smart move to do yeah yeah. like don't but really quick no i do want to ask you i want to ask you about that because you you ended your most recent podcast with a poll um thanks for reading my email by the way on, on the podcast oh, but, yeah but uh but you did read a poll about what people were most excited about i want to hone in on that about female characters and so forth but let's be honest i've been maintaining that ashley Eckstein as ahsoka it has been and continues to be for now potentially even more important than ray and the young generation of fans especially young girls and this i think proves it she's at least a, a, a parallel but how fitting is it though ashley Eckstein is having so much success with her own company her universe where she's really promoting diversity and you know b- b- building um confidence for young girls of all shapes sizes ages and colors and so forth and just the synergy of you know I- i'm sure you saw this online the surprise of Jodie Whittaker, who's playing the next Doctor Who, when she showed up on the catwalk at Ashley Eckstein's Her Universe thing with the Doctor Who stuff, like people went absolutely bananas. You know what I mean? So having Ashley Eckstein right at the center of all of this stuff, but how passionate she continues to be. And Tim, how ironic, but such, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Such satisfaction I get that that her, who played a character who was almost, you know, mocked off of television and is now one of the most (laughs) beloved characters of all time, is at the center of all this and i i just am so happy for her the character of ahsoka and everything around it no definitely it's such a great story this adds to i think why ahsoka ahsoka is so special and a great character now from those early beginnings of you know fans and not being happy with her and you know i can't pretend to say i was an ahsoka fan from the very beginning i didn't hate her in the movie but it was like yeah she's not my favorite i know who her target audience is and you know the movie was not nearly as good as the series let's be honest definitely yeah yeah. so like i said if her character brings in more like young little girl fans that's great 
the more the merrier in Star Wars fandom. But people, so. people make fun of Snips. I love Snips. And I go back and watch everything but the movie going from like mid-season one. Like, I don't think it took... Let's put it this way. I think Ahsoka as a character hit her stride away before the audience caught up to it. And now you go back mm, yeah. and it's a great continuity. Yeah. And it's funny when you say... Because I think the whole nickname thing was just you know, a great character development for her. Because if you notice, you know, Anakin would call her Snips and she would call Anakin Sky Guy. But if you notice, like by the time we get to season three, she doesn't call him Sky Guy no. anymore, but he continues her to Snips. call her Snips. Yep. And when he yeah. calls her Ahsoka, it's because he's mad at her or is like serious. You know, it's like you're, mm-hmm. you know, when your mom calls you by your full name, you know, exactly. like uh-huh. Timothy Jirasi or whatever. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. my mom uses my full name, you know, when she's, when she's mad. Snips, you know how much he loves her and it does fit her personality. You know what I mean? And yeah. so if you can't appreciate that, you know, whatever, that's, that's fine. Um, but I guess going back in my re- recent most Clone Wars rewatch other than the movie I think Ahsoka hits her stride sooner than I remembered as a character Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. I mean there was she had moments throughout the course especially in season two when she she really got taught like a lot of lessons (laughs) during the season two sure especially the premiere uh, where she you know gets uh, regulated to librarian duty (laughs) with Jocasta New and just kind of you know to being taught the ways that need to be done for a Jedi apprentice to do. And we were all there for her growth, which again, makes that series so great. And then Mm -hmm. going to season three, I think another big turning point for her is when uh, the season three finale where she gets uh, stranded on, I forget the planet, but you know, where where she meets Chewie, she's being hunted by the Trandoshans. I mean, that was a great character development for her as well. And this keeps getting big. Her, her storyline just kept getting bigger and better and just by the time we get to that season five finale with her leaving it just you know it feels you know it's sad to see it but it just feels so right yes. for the character to make that final decision knowing what everything she's been through uh, from the course of the movie up until that point and um, the fact that we're gonna be getting more of her story and another big one coming up with the siege of mandalore man i just can't wait because cannot wait we got, yeah we got the hints of what went down there in the ahsoka novel and man i just can't wait to see that all <laughs> finally play out in full it's gonna oh. be amazing so let's talk clone wars for a sec i totally agree with you about season three being the fulcrum so to speak uh of her character and i think the turning point for me is the luminara arc where you've got Luminara and Anakin with yeah, their a good one too. Yeah. Padawans. And Luminara and um, who's Luminara's Padawan? A Barriss. Oh, it's Barriss. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wasn't even thinking about the later connections with Barriss. But at, even at the time, the fact that yeah, Anakin... Another great character development. Yes. Her. So good. <laughs> yeah, it's just so good. I mean, you want to say there's not good female characters. You got Barriss. You got Asaz Ventress. He's one of the best bad guys, you know, like s- semi-bad guys. But what, what I love is Anakin and Ahsoka are of the same mind in, in those episodes mm-hmm, where yeah. they're not going to give up no matter what. And the and uh, and Luminara and her and Barriss are, are already giving up and saying, oh, it's the will of the Force, blah, blah, blah. Which, let's be honest, Tim, reflects the sort of apathy and and lack of taking control of all the jedi in the prequels Mm -hmm. and what i love about anakin well in episode three but specifically anakin uh with uh ahsoka in the clone wars is 
it seems like they're being mavericks at first, but they are generally fighting for the right cause way more than the Jedi Council who keeps picking the wrong things to get behind. Yeah. They keep saying, we don't want to interfere and interfere with that. And then we see Yoda with the clones, you know, leading an army, right? We're supposed to be like, you know, like, oh, we're peacekeepers, you know, not warriors, blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it, it's not that they're uh, just mavericks. It's that Annika, Anakin and Ahsoka in the Clone Wars, their moral compass is in the right place, which makes the whole thing at the end of uh, Clone Wars and then the movies even more tragic right definitely no yeah you nailed it right there i mean again that brings back to you want to tie it to further down the saga which i think (laughs) just makes it great as a whole as you know that's what luke took to how he defeated vader in return of the jedi fighting you know with your emotions the thing that the jedi told you untaught not to have but yet you know anakin used a lot as a jedi ahsoka you pass it on to ahsoka and she used in certain uh situations and then again that using your emotions and that love you have for someone you care about is what, you know, won the day for Luke and having him turn Vader and redeeming him. And again, going, then even bringing that further to the last Jedi, when mm-hmm. Luke calls, calls Thank out you. the Jedi order Thank for, you. you know, the hubris that they showed. And I yep. see that's why one of my favorite moments, of the last Jedi, and just when oh, yeah. you consume everything, star Wars, it just makes it even more better because when Luke says that you call back to all those instances in the clone wars yeah. and the prequels that, you know what Luke talking Luke's talking about, and you go, "Yep, he's dead on." <laughs> so yep. all this stuff that's been laid out, it just and then it gets expanded on later on down the line. It's just totally. one of the many reasons why I just and love yet, the story of Star Wars. So and yet, much. as I talked to in the recent podcast, you know when when Luke first starts training Rey in Last Jedi. And she starts feeling the force too strongly. And he says, you didn't even resist. You went down the hole, the dark side, blah, blah, blah. Luke's projecting like, like psychologically, like that's not what happened. Like Ray is just exploring the force and Luke doesn't seem able to train her at that point. And what's brilliant about Ray is at a much earlier stage than Luke, she is able to channel passion as part of saving herself and other people, you know, when it comes to fighting, but she immediately comes back to herself, right? Like she's, fighting with kylo at the end spoiler alert Um, (laughs) you know but but as soon as that battle ends she immediately comes back to herself which is something luke's had trouble doing and anakin ultimately has trouble doing but in the clone wars anakin and ahsoka are both very good at channeling passion for positive results but they keep being told they shouldn't be doing that and that's ultimately what drives ahsoka away which then of course like billiard balls then runs into anakin and makes him more angry and more you know likely to turn against the i think i think if there any problems between clone wars prequels and and new trilogy it's not you know establishing enough for the readers maybe trusting us too much to make these connections about you know the ways in which the jedis were so wrong in the prequels Mm -hmm. and one of you know me i'm 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 someone of a critic of parts of the prequels but what i don't think is appreciated is the brilliance of how lucas was trying to tell us without rubbing it in our face how wrong the jedi were in so many ways even master yoda the last jedi addresses this a little bit go ahead no, yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, that's I, I know one of the disappointments of going back to the prequel days when the movies were first coming about about the Jedi being unlikable and, you know, weren't the heroes of legends that some fans were led to believe just hearing their stories being told in the original trilogy and whatnot. But at the same time, it all serves for the greater purpose of the story that Lucas is trying to tell. Sure, I think there are, of course, we know the Republic is a thousand years old and there were Jedi probably who were more because I don't view the Jedi we saw in the prequel at their peak, obviously, because that's when they were about to hit their downfall. But there are there has to be that time in a portion of the 
era of the Republic. You're where sitting the, on a, ver- a Sith virgin, you idiots, Yoda and Mace Windu. <laughs> like, what are you thinking? Come on. Too blind to see it. Too oh, blind. God. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, even though there had to be a time where the Jedi were, you know, kind of lived up to that myth and legend that you know, was spoke about from Obi-Wan to Luke and then Luke and the last Jedi talking about it to Ray, even though he goes, when you take away all that myth and legend and lore and all that stuff, what's left. <laughs> and that's what we got in the prequels. It's just great storytelling though. And yeah, even again, we're back to some fans who might've been disappointed about seeing the Jedi portrayed that way. It's, you know, at that time we didn't know we'd be getting, you know, more movies and standalone films that have the chance to explore the Jedi. Maybe that were more, um, taken to maybe what others had pictured in their heads uh, before we really got to explore the Jedi order in the prequels. So we might get a chance to see that later on. But again, even if we don't, it's not to me anyway, a huge deal because I've just learned to love the story that Lucas was telling with the Jedi and using them to show the downfall of what these, you know, this group who are supposed to be all powerful. But again, as Luke (laughs) established in the last Jedi, Mm. just were too arrogant. Even Yoda hinted at in episode two, some being more arrogant in the hubris that they showed us all coming to a tragic downfall (laughs) once they, you know, episode three hits and they just, you know, were too late to see it. I just think that's just a brilliant storytelling there. Word. All right, man. I want to talk about episode nine a little bit. And then the final main section will be uh, books and comics. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds good. Let's awesome. go for it. All right. So you, you did a poll uh, before your last podcast about what people are most excited about in the casting announcement, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not that people are shocked that Mark Hamill is coming back. People were a little surprised they announced it this early. Again, yeah. my theory is they don't want the rampant speculation and the fact that the older Mark Hamill gets the, the less uh, he's able to keep secrets. So why bother? And we all kind of knew it anyways. That being said... We also thought there would be some version of some kind of Leia, even if it was just a voice or a brief CGI on a hologram or something. But we didn't know that J.J. Abrams was going to be bringing back old footage. Now, I agree with, I don't know who, if all you guys said it on Saga Continues about that. We Even though they're saying episode seven footage, I do think episode eight footage is in the picture as well um, in terms of them using it. I also think we could see some flashbacks. Like we might see like a Leia Han scene that we haven't seen before and maybe we'll mm-hmm. see it through holograms maybe we'll see it through force ghosts guys check out uh the most recent saga continues podcast they talk about this speculation a lot um but i will say tim you know me right first of all okay i want to thank you for something which is in our last podcast was the first time i officially said rogue one was my favorite star wars movie because Mm. i I thought (laughs) i was going to put your feet to the fire about the list but really it put my feet to the fire and and when i actually (laughs) said it i was like oh my gosh um and it's because you know i love generso and i just love that movie um and i've talked about it a lot since then but i've also talked about the reason one of the reasons i have rogue one at, at the top is not I don't necessarily think it's the best Star Wars movie. It is I just think it is the best and my favorite movie within the Star Wars universe. Being a movie guy, as much as I love Star Wars, as you know, I do tons of podcasts having to do not just with Marvel and DC, but even like other movies, V for Vendetta, Harry Potter, Children of Men. You know, I just love film, and so Rogue One as a film is at the top. Uh, you know, um, but having done commentaries for Empire and Return of the Jedi recently, you know, they're all they're all kind of up there, or whatever. But thank 
thank you for you know uh, you know uh, you didn't realize you were doing it at the time but you're responsible <laughs> <No>. <laughs> for me being honest about it but that being said my favorite character from childhood and to today is still Princess Leia okay and I have a major problem with this because the people that I grew up with my age group mostly dudes because let's be honest Star Wars growing up at least on the surface was mostly guys that liked it now we're seeing tons of young women as well which is great but you know for them their favorite character was you know Luke or Han and I guess as a kid Luke was my favorite but like now look for the most part looking back and still to today Leia is my favorite and any Leia I am absolutely thrilled about also my love of Carrie Fisher you know I've dealt with some similar life situations that she's gone through not nearly to the extreme but I have dealt with some stuff like that and so that has made me love Carrie Fisher more and you know the fact that she has always fully embraced Leia you know even more at times that Harrison Ford and Luke uh, and uh, Mark Hamill um, during certain periods you know with their characters Um, but the new generation of of women for understandable reasons identify more with like Ahsoka and Rey or even Padme and so forth right which is Mm -hmm. absolutely great but I feel like Leia gets short shrift among the older fans because well she's not Luke or Han and she gets short shrift among the younger fans because for them the original trilogy isn't necessarily the big thing it is for us and they see you know her being the princess they see her in the slave Leia thing which by the way guys was all part of the plan she fucking choked the the the, the hut to death and she's the hut slayer um you know what i mean but on the surface you know i hear things like oh leia was sort of a disempowered female character and i'm like if you look at the original movies that's not what's going on at all from the moment she steals the gun and she says someone needs to save our skins yeah exactly up until now she is the boss right and i think there's some resentment among older fans if you this will be a good bridge to the comics that we have characters like afra who are new or leia who who we've seen but leia is such a boss in the comics in a way that jibes with the with the original movies i guess what i'm saying man is i I don't know that um let me put it this way i'm not always satisfied with how leia is explained by fans in in public but in gen in the general view leia is loved and carrie fisher is an american treasure and people love her and so i was thrilled that in your poll and just the way you guys talked about it leia being in nine was you know uh, such a topic of conversation and something so many people are excited about so i know i just threw a lot at you and so i'll start with the simple question is how do you feel about leia being in nine the way we are being explained that it's going to happen and and sort of any thoughts or predictions you have about it yeah i was actually kind of surprised that this was the route they're going to go with leia and that she wasn't going to be in nine in general because honestly i was just accepting that we weren't going to see her at all and just that they were going to write her out, out of the story somehow like have an off off screen death they'll mention it in the crawl or something like that saying what happened to her but the fact that that's not going to be the case and i love how jj abrams <laughs> said in the press release how we couldn't like there wasn't a way to end the skywalker saga mm-hmm. fittingly without princess leia like he said it eluded us <laughs> and yeah i mean because that was going to be the biggest you know kind of regret about episode nine is if having it being billed as the last of the Skywalker saga and Leia not be a part of it, that was always going to be a very disappointing aspect of the film. So I was really glad and happy to see that in the press release that this is what they're going to do. And that, you know, there is enough footage. and I'm real curious about, you know, what exactly that footage is going to pertain to um, from episode seven. And like you mentioned, um, there was reports saying that there's going to be some unused episode eight footage that JJ is going to be using for nine as well. So, um, yeah, right now it, it is kind of, I'm still going back and forth on what do I expect to see from Leia 9. I'm kind of 
keeping my expectations in check as far as it probably not being a lot of screen time and not a huge major role because again we just don't know how much unused footage they're going to which would be impossible and probably a mistake right to force that much in there yeah mm, because we don't know the context of what those deleted scenes were for me personally i'm kind of hoping especially for the episode eight stuff that there is more with leia in the force and more so than leia and with the resistance which i think probably most of the episode seven deleted scenes can pertain to but then like i said on our last episode um, how there is that shot in the trailer where we see Maz handing Luke's lightsaber or the Skywalker lightsaber to Leia oh that God, we never Sam. got in the actual movie. Dude. So that... I'm uh, sorry. You can uh, go ahead. No, <laughs> I, I, okay, guys. I, I'm constantly praising Tim and his podcast. And, and honestly, <laughs> I agree. You know I love Kyle. You know I love Paul. But there are certain times when Kyle and Paul are, are talking about stuff and I'm just waiting for you to come in and you say exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking. And that was one of them. I was like, I hope Tim drops this on them. I hope Tim drops them. And then you drop the Moz footage. And, and Kyle, I think, was even like, oh my God, he just blew my mind. You know, like he was like, I was like, yeah, yes, so I didn't realize. Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, it was great. It was great. It's not because that goes, those guys don't love it. It's just because, you know, they get so riled up and I love their passion. And that's why the, the, the dynamic of, well, first you two and now you three is great because you're so sort of sitting back you listen you sort of process it and you're like yeah but guys you're maybe forgetting this one thing and then they're like oh my god you're totally right and that's how i felt too uh, th- will you talk about that piece of footage from my listeners in case they didn't hear your show no yeah because again we don't know the context of that scene but if maz is there there was a moment with her and leia and mm-hmm. talking about Luke and the lightsaber yep. yeah from episode seven there's mm-hmm. got to be some force talking there and about you know just the grander scheme of things about the force and luke's absence and about Ray, I mean, Leia could be asking Maz about Ray, and maybe there's some stuff in there that was cut where we got more with Leia taking talking about Ray, which I think would be great to see in Episode Nine too, because we only got a very little bit of that at the end of Seven and at Eight. So mm-hmm. to get more of Leia and what she thinks thinks about Ray and just her role in the galaxy and her kind of being mm-hmm. uh, the new torchbearer in a way for the light side and the Force mm-hmm. and the Jedi would be great. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that's in there, and at the same time too, if I'm thinking kind of worst case scenario and kind of as small as a role as it can be. And they might even still have this, even if we do get more footage than expecting. But I do think we're probably going to get her as a force ghost. Too. Okay. I'm sorry. I need to, I need to, I need to ask you about this. Go for it. So this was my whole ramble before about Leia not getting enough respect. So mm. when I bring that up to people or see people talk about, Oh, she's not trained. She can't be a force ghost. And, or also the Leia flying in last Jedi, Mm. I wonder how, because you, by the way, I believe in our first podcast, we agreed that while we might have gone a slightly different direction, we were happy to see the full Leia display at least once totally in last yeah. jedi and i wonder mm. how much again i you know I, I don't know what's going on inside people's heads consciously or subconsciously but sometimes when they're like oh i hated that scene of leia flying i wonder how much of it is actually like aesthetically i didn't like it and how much of it was like well she's not trained or she's too powerful in the forest having never being trained blah 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 which is insane because luke you know was way more powerful than he was able to handle ever and we still see that in the last jedi that's just in their blood so yeah there's not really a question here other than you're hitting on something that I, you know, I've been thinking about and talking about, which is not only would I not have a problem with Leia being a force ghost and not only would it be a great use of old footage, it makes sense, but like she is a Skywalker. Mm -hmm. To me, it's, it's such a no brainer. There doesn't need to be a big explanation for it because um, we're assuming that episode nine is going to take place several years after episode eight. Um, Who's to say that Luke didn't 
commune with Leia as a Force Ghost and train her during that time period. I mean, that's all you need, really. <laughs> and if you, I'm sorry, if you say Lucas decided that Qui Gon was the one to figure out the Force Ghost thing, which, by the way, is literally like only the only two problems I have having done the 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 um. Uh, commentaries for the prequels, which, by the way, episode one ages much better every time I watch it. I'm like, really good, really fun movie. But Mm -hmm. the only two problems, lore-wise, is Qui-Gon being the one to come up with Force Ghost and Anakin's holy birth as a Skywalker. Other than that, I have zero problems. Which is just, I don't like... let me put it this way George Lucas's obsession with Eastern philosophy and especially especially eschewing Christian eschatology and religion the sort of Jesus-esque birth it doesn't make sense within the it, it, let me, it's inconsistent let me say with his normal philosophy but whatever forget that if you well, I'm ha- actually kind of more interested why you have a problem with Qui-Gon being the one I don't I, I, it's not that I have a problem I just don't think it's <laughs> properly um, explained he is one of the most mm. relatable and human Jedis ever which is why his mistake and you know believing in Anakin is completely understandable and why Liam Neeson is underrated and you know what I mean and, and, and why I love episode one more and more I, I, my my problem is just that we don't really get an explanation why Qui-Gon's the one to come up with it other than we wanted to tie it gotcha. back to Qui-Gon that's my only issue but what I'm saying mm-hmm. is if Qui-Gon Jinn who I mean you have to admit it wouldn't be in like the top hundred most powerful Jedi of the last three thousand years probably if he comes up with that then why can't Leia be a well, natural force user without training See, when you go back to the Yoda arc, I took okay. it more as that since Qui-Gon was more in tune with the living force and like more so than the Jedi Order that we showed in the prequel, I think it's, I always got the impression that he but was so chosen. Leia. But that just proves my point. Leia is in tune with the no, living yeah. people. Yeah. But just, just the idea of Qui-Gon kind of being the first, he was like chosen specifically by, I think those force priestess too. Yes. He's the one yes. that we need to pass this knowledge yes. on to. Sorry. Let me, so. uh, let me clarify real quickly. It's not the, the, it's a difference. I actually have a problem with the Holy Force birth because it doesn't make sense to me. The Qui-Gon thing, I would just like more information about. And by the way, we're getting... That's understandable. And we're going to talk really soon in our final section about books coming up and comic books. We're going to hear more about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. And so, you know, this will talk more about what he was as a Jedi. But Qui-Gon got his ass kicked by Darth Maul and then Obi-Wan kicked Darth Maul's ass twice. Um, and he beat Anakin once. He probably could have beaten Anakin twice if he'd wanted to. Yeah. You know, it, it, <laughs> all, all I'm saying is if Qui-Gon can be that power you know in sort of a natural way and as you said in touch with the living force and the living people and that's what made him great and you know you could tell the council was assholes going all the way to episode one because Qui-Gon was such a human character compared to the cold calculating you know Mm -hmm. unhuman um, not unhuman but you know what I'm saying like sort of non-humanistic view of the council why can't Leia be a natural force user who by the way after she was tortured by her own father um, who's a dark side user and destroyed her planet saw what happened to her brother saw what happened to her son it makes sense that leia would eschew you know exploring the force but it would also make sense that she'd be incredibly and naturally strong in the force i guess yeah i'm right there with you to me it's it's not even an issue to think that she could do that (laughs) like to be a force ghost or display force power it's just it's in her blood (laughs) pretty much so we're right is what you're saying we're we're obviously right on this point okay great okay all right all right tim i'll be ready to defend that if that's an issue in episode nine anyone (laughs) that's a problem with that but do you would you at least agree with me that it like let's put Leia's amazingness and her being a classic film star and character is doesn't necessarily line up with the way people talk about the original cast and Star Wars characters in general. Like not that she's being disrespected, but that it's sad that it took her death for people to realize how great Leia and Carrie Fisher were. You know what? Maybe it's just because honestly, I didn't get that impression that you're talking about. You're so so positive and optimistic. God damn it. 
they're just the people that you know I see online yes. and talk to. They've always I've seen Hel- Leia and Carrie Fisher held in high regard, oh, as yeah. far as I can remember. So I never really got well, you too guys much. get it. You guys get it. Like yeah. I, I've talked to Paul about Jin, and I'm like he loves Jin too, and I'm like I don't understand why more people don't like Jin. He's like I know I don't understand. I you know what I mean? Like you guys. But I'm saying a lot of let's say let's say men of our age and background don't all have the same understanding, acceptance, and love and understanding of you know female Star Wars characters. Maybe is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. As, as you as you boys do, and, and my people do. Yeah, you're probably so, right. too bad for them. Too bad for them. <laughs> yeah, because exactly. Leia, Ahsoka, Jin, and Ray are fucking awesome. So before we move to the final section of comics and books, man, any other thoughts, predictions, and so forth for episode nine? It can be what Mark Hamill's role is, what Billy D. Williams' role is, where's the first order gonna be? You, you can you can tackle anything, and then we'll we'll, we'll close with a section a little bit on uh, books and comics. Um, yeah, I mean that's the, <laughs> the big question right now. It's actually part of the fun as we're. Gearing oh, up yeah. for a, so episode nine. Yeah. We still got a year and change <laughs> to I know, go. God so. damn it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, regards to Luke, I mean, that's another character I got to keep my expectations in check as far as how much he's going to be in the film. I mean, because we know obviously it's going to be a force ghost. And I'm kind of, I was talking about this too on the last episode where, you know, who should Luke interact with as a force ghost? I mean, I think Ray's the obvious Kylo, one. Kylo. But I was thinking Kylo too. Yes. Kylo. So that would be. Yes. Great, but at the same time, I was thinking, well, he kind of had his like final words with Kylo. And no, it's going to be Kylo. Great. Nope, nope. That was actually, I believed him. I'm sorry, because I, I, I want to get your response to my theory. His wink and his little speech at the end was an exact reverse mirror of Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan mm. says to Vader, I'll become stronger than you can imagine because he can then be with Luke always. I think it's the yeah. opposite. When, 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 when Luke basically says it's a Kylo, I think he's going to be tormenting Kylo's psyche throughout the movie. Not that he won't communicate with Rey, but can't you see Mark Hamill just fucking with Adam Driver as Kylo Ren throughout that movie? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much we get of that, but yeah, it'd be interesting. Like I said, it'd be interesting to what he would have to say to <laughs> Kylo as far as like, is he going to try to bring him back or just try to, you know, maybe Kylo's going to be doing, you know, he's going to, fallen further into the dark side and that will probably i'm going to assume he will by the time we get to episode nine as far as how many years has taken place after the last jedi and just what extremes he's going to do to the galaxy that luke has to try to connect with him again and but actually i would love to see it if i mean my ultimate dream for mm. episode nine is whether it's Give the it last shot or the yeah. ending just a massive force ghost party <laughs> it's gonna luke, happen obi-wan yoda anakin leia in there because I would love to see Anakin. Oh yeah, Hayden coming. Hayden coming to celebration last year was the first step. Natalie, I mean Natalie's not going to be a Force Ghost, but Natalie, I think hopefully coming to celebration next year. They're trying to bring them back into the fold with all the prequel stuff, which we're about to get to. I definitely I could see the Anakin Force Ghost party. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't. No, I'm not going to say make the movie for me, but it'll take it to another level <laughs> if we get that. So, yeah, and going to be interesting to see you know just what the state of the galaxy is at that time depending how long it is after episode eight just how much power and rule does the first order have over the galaxy now that the resistance was just you know just a handful of people by the time of the last jedi and just how much did they in turn grow in the amount of time between episode eight and nine for the final battle and just you know what's going to be the catalyst of what's going to bring force this final battle what's going to be because we don't want to see another Death Star 2 or Star Killer Base 2 as like the main threat that's got to get the resistance to act fast yeah. to take down the First yeah. Order. Because I was kind of, what I would like 
I mean, I'm sure we have to have a first order resistance battle take place, but I would kind of like it to be kind of a small scale thing or not the forefront conflict. Cause I really just want it to be, you know, the four stuff with Ray and Kylo and have their showdown go down and have like the resistance, of the force first order battles kind of be more in the background or be dealt with a little quicker and just have the main focus of the movie be wrapping up the Skywalker saga and Ray and Kylo's story. Cause that's, mm-hmm. I'm sure speak for a lot of fans. That's what we're all most anxious to see continue on and just where yep. these characters are at and what's going to be left and mm-hmm. or where their stories are going to be left at by the time the film is over. So mm-hmm. yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see just where it all goes and what the state is at the beginning and then how the Skywalker saga ends. It's going to be, you know, that's, I get a tall order that JJ and company has to end the Skywalker saga. At least for now, we talked about that on the last episode too. Is this real at the end or is it still going to continue beyond this? But I think at this point in time, because never say never, but the plan is to have this be the definitive, definitive end of the Skywalker saga. And I'm just anxious to see how, what that end is going to be. So like I said, part of the fun, for this next year and a half or year and a few months and leading up to celebration before we get our first first footage of the film is just going to be mm-hmm. speculating on mm-hmm. putting all this stuff going over in our heads just what might happen in this film i guys i can't again can't recommend enough <clears throat> tim's most recent saga continues episode specifically for that discussion tim and paul's bit i'm not gonna say rant because <laughs> that's just paul uh, and yeah but it was, was that you know go ahead I was just going to say, really glad that it was kind of like a nice, I think we called it like a therapy type session. It was great. <laughs> I'm right there with him. I was yeah. right there because he admitted that he was of two minds, that he, at least two minds, that he doesn't want this to be the end, but he also wants it to be the end because let's be honest, whether you like The Last Jedi or not, Ryan Johnson's message of move beyond the past, kill the past, let it die you know, it is something that I think Star Wars fans are having trouble with because we kind of a- agree with that, but we also don't, right? Like, we want new stuff, but we don't want new stuff. We want characters we know, but it's a Han Solo movie that nobody goes to see, right? Um, and that's why I keep pointing back to Rogue One because Rogue One is a great example of a story within the universe and timeline that we know with side characters that we know, but with all new main characters and with all new stories. And I think that's why Rogue One succeeded financially more than Solo. I'm not going to say artistically, but financially succeeded way more than Solo was for that reason. I think Favreau's series will succeed because, yes, it's set post-Return of the Jedi, but it's going to be mostly new main characters and new stories, right? And I think that that's what we're kind of hoping for. And I think maybe that message from Ryan either hit people too hard on the head or not hard enough that, you know, Lucasfilm was making a statement of whatever you think of this film, we are trying to push beyond it, and we're doing it within the saga movies. And I thought Paul's sort of inner monologue that you guys then sort of talked about, um, you know, and discussed was really, yes, therapeutic for him and you guys, but also for me and listeners of we want to move beyond the Skywalkers, right? But we also don't want to eliminate the possibility of ever mentioning their name again. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. I mean, it's sometimes hard to move on from characters we love, but at mm-hmm. the same time, it needs to happen. The saga needs so, to do that in order to survive. <laughs> beyond yeah. It goes, you know. yeah. And, and, and by the way, I agree with you. I think this, the, so I've talked recently about when you look at Marvel, DC movies, Star Wars movies, being epic and being big are not the same thing, right? Mm, I mean, yeah. the, the Ray Kylo confrontations in seven and eight have been 
the most epic we've seen, or w- among those epic we've seen, not because of the hugeness of it, but because of the stakes, the acting, the writing, and you know, and, and what it means. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I actually agree with you. I actually think Kylo's going to dispense of the First Order pretty early on, and I think what's being lost is we can and rightfully do criticize Episode 7 with the Death Star and Starkiller base and so forth for being too similar, yeah. but you know what else is similar? That's great, Mirror, is Darth Vader and Kylo and never really embracing either the Empire slash First order and also being skeptical of the power yeah. of the death star slash star killer base i think one of the best shots mm-hmm. both in terms of shots and what it means is kylo looking out at the at star killer base shooting yeah. at, at, right at, at the end of episode seven and you can tell and this is adam driver and jj being brilliant you can tell kylo is not like giddy about the destruction that it's mm-hmm. about to do yep. and he knows that that's not the end of them right he knows the bigger picture i think one of the things will be a great bridge to the comics one of the things that's great about vader and has really been explored in the comics in particular is vader being openly skeptical and disliking both the death star itself what it means its particular display of powers and even taking digs at the emperor you know relying on such things of physical power and so forth and i think kylo too in that one shot you can be like well this is what snoke and the first order are doing right now so i'm just going to stand here and watch but i've got a bigger thing which is trying to get ray to come to my side right and let's be honest tim we talked about this you can criticize any parts of the last jedi but whether you like the movie or not it's clear that the big three kylo ray and luke is is the coolest part of that film and i would put the best Mm -hmm. of the big three in that film up with any of the best star wars stuff that we've seen and i'm sure they recognize that in terms of the actors and the characters and so i do think we are going to get kylo we are going to get the knights of ren especially because that was introduced by jj abrams we're definitely yeah. get Kylo and the Knights of Ren with Rey and whatever the new Jedi or light side force users are. Ahsoka Tano <clears throat> um, and so forth. I, don't oh, you man, think that though happens. that it's, it, it's so obvious that, that that would be the battle and it wouldn't be a big space. And by the way, Rogue One shows you that you can have a glorious big space battle that's still nevertheless not the folk, main focus of attention in the final act, right? I mean, as glorious as yeah. the Rogue One space battle is, it's the crew on the ground and specifically, you know, Jin Cassian and K2 on the inside that's the interesting thing and that's what I was talking about epic like yes is the Rogue One space battle epic it's absolutely epic but it's not the most important part and as I've talked about without the giant space battle Rogue One would still probably be my favorite or one of my favorites it's just icing on the cake and so I think we're going to get a space battle but it would be a mistake to focus on that and I I don't want to put words in your mouth and not focus on Kylo Ray and the the Jedi stuff right totally yeah I'm hoping it's more Revenge of the Sith style as far as like climactic endings go, which is focusing on two situations. We've got the Yoda Sidious fight and the Anakin Obi-Wan fight. And oh, yeah. I hope JJ's not wanting to go too much like Return of the Jedi where you got mm-hmm. three different battles going on. Cause I agree. It, I mean, as cool as it can be, I think when you have your attention split that much, I mean, it works great for Jedi. I think that's as much as you can go. Phantom Menace kind of did a little too much where it had four mm. <laughs> different uh, scenarios you had to keep track of in that final battle. So da, da, I would like da, to keep da, it da, at da, two. Da, da. Yep. Even though, yeah, the music was great as well. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, Tim. Oh, a guy that talked about giving Tim hell, hells yeah, hell yes, hells yeah, um, multiple hell yes while listening. And one of them was when you talked about bringing in uh, either a tease or a straight up um, duel of the fates. And I mean, oh, man, I feel yeah. like with John Williams' <laughs> final performance, 
And as you've talked about, again, another thing I agree with, how they advertise, you know, every... What was it with Phantom Menace? Every saga has a beginning. Every... Oh, yeah. And this being every saga has an end, bringing in Duel of the Fates. And there's so much connection, you know? Are we going to get some Kenobi as a Force Ghost, too, you know? And, like, I mean, there's so... Oh, man, it'd be great to get to get duel of the fates and i agree with you i I think they are going to focus on the force stuff and it especially when you look at what worked and what didn't work in in jedi that being said tim and i really do uh, because i really appreciate your time but i do want to talk about books and comics for a few minutes i i I, I don't want to see that stuff and not get better development for finn and poe because for me the thing that keeps last jedi from being a great star wars movie was the either poor or underwritten you know writing for poe and finn um, in, in, in Last Jedi. I, I want to see them have a, and again, it doesn't have to be more screen time. It just has to be a more developed and complicated role for them in, uh, episode nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I thought Finn or Poe in particular had a better, I thought character development definitely than he had in the force awakened that it kind of set the stage up to what I think could be he an did. exciting role for him in episode <sighs> nine, where, you know, he's pretty much probably going to be the leader of the resistance. And again, we have to wait to see, you know, how much they're going to use of Carrie Fisher as Lay in nine. But I think Poe's going to be running the show for the most part. And well, we kind of saw him learn the hard lesson and how to be a good leader in eight. I so I know. And maybe it's just because Poe continues to be such a favorite for me. And yet, yes, underused in Force Awakens for his age and experience. Okay. This will be the bridge to the comics, man. So I've read most of the Poe Dameron comics. Mm -hmm. It seems like he's learned the lesson via Leia multiple times already (laughs) before the events of the last Jedi. And because Holdo is a new character uh, to to most of the viewing audience, it, it, it didn't ring true to me that he'd be, so naive now i'm on board with the fact that he would be the guy trying to do a plan behind the scenes that fails so spectacularly that it almost kills them all but the, the the transfer of information if you will between or lack thereof between him and holdo and him being he's acting like a 23 year old when he's like 43 it, it doesn't <laughs> really add up i know people are complaining about the hot shot pilot thing when the new resistance trailer it doesn't bother me because whether you watch Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica or literally any space battling, you know, epic TV show or movie, you always have the hotshot pilots. But that makes more sense with the youngins like we're going to see in Resistance. And if anything, it's going to highlight the fact that he was acting like a child in The Last Jedi, but also the fact that Holdo wouldn't trust him and the fact that Holdo not trusting him led to the situation and that Leia wouldn't have told Holdo that she should trust. I mean, the whole thing just doesn't add up. So, yes, there is more development i just don't know if it was convincing development to me mm. and i think the comics while fleshing poe out i'll throw it to you on this it also makes a less jedi scenario make less sense to me yeah you could take it that way but at the same time i think in just looking at it realistically it's one of those things i mean as much as us hardcore fans view everything in the same canon now with the comics and books and all that i think it's one of those scenarios where you know the story group or ryan johnson when doing the script for the last jedi weren't really you know, acknowledging or paying too much attention to what's going on in the comics, just basing off what happened for episode seven, which again, you kind of have to have that balance where you can't assume, or actually you got to assume hardly anyone's reading those comics or going to see the movies. So it wouldn't be something that they're too concerned with as far as that, but just making sure the progression is kind of normal from seven to eight. But but I I can kind of get where you're coming from. But the story group has to approve all the main comics and the fact that you have Sewell, Sule, Charles Sewell, whoever's writing. I mean, you basically have two, three, four main writers of all the mainline 
comics, including Afro, Star Wars, Vader, and Poe, which, by the way, have all been pretty good. I mean, the Poe one took a while to get going. I love Afra. I, 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 let me put it this way. It's predictable to me that some fans wouldn't like Afra. To me, Afra is the most interesting part of the comics, even if not in her own comics, just being the wild card in the Vader and Star, you know, mainline Star Wars comics is fantastic. And the connection to, you know, Sana and, and Han and Luke and so forth is great. The Poe comics have gotten better. I guess what I'm saying is that from the beginning of Last Jedi, where, you know, he says they were heroes and Leia says, yeah, dead heroes. The lessons he had learned in the comics should, you know, should have made him take that more, more seriously, I guess. Yeah, see, I don't know. Maybe I have to go back and read some of those early issues, but no go. as I was reading them, there was so I didn't really get that impression where it like didn't connect well with the last Jedi to have him, you know, to where in the last Jedi he wouldn't make sense for him not to do what he did in the beginning. Yeah. And I just think what happened in the last Jedi is like to the utmost extreme that where it is going to teach him the lesson of not to be that way anymore. Cause mm-hmm. he, he like never suffered as much loss as they did in the beginning of the last Jedi. And then what came down to, you know, really a life sure. or death scenario for the end of the resistance too with yep. the lesson they learned from well, I think, you know i think the other problem tim is and we get to some of the other comics because by the way guys spoiler alert i think the comics have been more interesting than the books and i'm going to get to those reasons why and see if tim agrees with me or has thoughts on that but tim you know i i will say what makes empire brilliant is you think the luke storyline and the leia han storyline are just divergent and we're following our main characters and then when you realize how they connect at the end in cloud city with vader it's brilliant and so i think the lack of connectivity other than you know crate it it didn't really come together in terms of the connectivity it was just a failed plan that finn and rose had no idea what they were doing failed completely and pose responsible for sending them and thinking that they could do it but haldo also failed as a leader to not see that poe who's the most important person in the resistance after leia but at least before the last jedi not counting ray you know everyone failed i'm on board with that i think it was just a lack of narrative connectivity but as i said to you in our last podcast and and so i'm not going to harp on this too long because i want to hear about what you like in the comics in particular is that when the big three stuff is so good you are naturally going to want to get back to them constantly and you know it it, it unfortunately makes the other parts of the movie which are just good seem you know less compelling because you Mm -hmm. just want to get back for me to kylo ray and luke and as opposed to empire where i'm equally happy being with yoda r2 and luke or chewy leia han you know like each time i watch empire i'm i'm in on both of those scenarios especially when you throw in vader so um, oh yeah i I completely agree with that and that's why empire is the greatest movie of all time so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and speaking of which, man, so, you know, I did the list with you. Uh, now I'll ask you about comics and books. We'll wrap up, which is, you know, I had uh, Rogue One number one. I had Jedi 2, Empire 3. Now, I-, I assumed it was because I just l- grew up on watching tons of Jedi, but sort of thought Empire was the better movie. Um, and I won't assume that you will or have time to listen to me and Simi's uh, Return of the Jedi commentary. I tried to make an argument about the ways in which Return of the Jedi is superior as a film to Empire. Not that it is one, but there are some specific things that, that it does do better than Empire, even while Empire does a lot of things better and, you know, it, it is the more classic movie. But also, Tim, really quickly about Empire, and we'll finish on comics, is don't you find it interesting that although super fans and casual fans, even the mainstream audience of Star Wars, agree on almost nothing almost everyone across the spectrum agree that empire is one of, if not the best star Wars film, I think is really interesting. 
Yeah, but if, to be honest, I think they're seeing more, at least for me anyway, more variety in people's responses as far as what their favorite movie is. And I think that's a great thing, actually. Like if someone says their favorite movie is The Phantom Menace, like I'm not going to say, what? How dare you? Do you think that's better than Empire? Like, you're not a true fan. To me, I think it's great when everyone has their own favorite movie. Oh, sure. That's that's what makes Star Wars great. Like to me, there's really no wrong answer. For no, it, no, no. Know? That's not what I'm saying. I'm. Uh, let me rephrase. People of our generation, whether they're hardcore fans like you and I, or just casual moviegoers who have only seen the original trilogy and maybe mm-hmm. seen the new movies, it, for the most part, everyone I know of my generation thinks Empire is the best, or they like it the best. I'm just saying it's interesting because normally the things the hardcore fans like of a certain generation and the regular fans or casual viewers like is completely different. I think it's interesting with Empire. Mm, okay, I got you. Yeah, and when, I'm speaking to your point of it being the best movie because mm-hmm. if people from all the way on one side of the spectrum to all the way the other and you pull everybody and 80% say Empire is the best regardless of how much of a fan they are, that speaks extremely highly of it because any other nerd property you get way more variation. Yes, you have people who say Revenge of the Sith is the best or Attack of the Clones is the best or phantom menace is the best the young generation says i think i'm still one of the few who champions attack of the clones but <laughs> i'll still I, that I, I like you too much to even talk about this so i'm just gonna keep moving <laughs> yeah by the way uh i you will appreciate i actually i don't normally do an intro to my intros of podcasts but i did like a semi-trigger warning intro to attack of the clones oh, because well. i was like guys I love Star Wars. I love you listeners, but I don't like to shit on things people love. And I'm going to come into this respectfully, but just be warned, there will be heavy criticism in this movie or whatever, you know, because I don't, I don't like to shit on things people love, you know, And, and along those lines, you and I both have Last Jedi as the bottom of the four new movies right i mean mm. we disagree on the other three i have rogue one at the top you have episode seven i think still at the top yeah mm-hmm. yeah but um but but a lot of the younger generation last jedi is their favorite movie and you know what that's fantastic you know yep. <laughs> and i think ray and kylo are are the key and tim this is the main big question i have to ask you and and this will lead to mostly comic stuff and so that's why i'm asking it now i, I have to get to this which is you're a DC Comics guy. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Okay, you like Batman? Stuff like that? Yep. Okay. Batman's probably my favorite fictional character. Okay. So. But you also have Luke Skywalker. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so, what is, in terms of dealing with bad guys, what is the main difference between Batman and Luke Skywalker? Oh, uh, I think I know where you're going. <laughs> Luke, Batman doesn't, if doesn't Luke kill. Has Luke has to murder someone, <laughs> if Luke has to kill a bad guy, he will do it painlessly. He never tortures. But whether it's the Jabba stuff at the beginning of Return of the Jedi or mm. the Screaming Citadel uh, series of comic books, which yeah. I personally love. I know not everyone <laughs> oh, loves. I hate it. <laughs> I love Screaming Citadel. But even if you look at the other mainline Star Wars comics, like he will just yeah. kill a bad guy. And Tim, Shattered I have to, Empire. Yeah. Shattered Empire. And Tim, I got to tell you, I am with Luke on this. If I can stop a genocidal killer from killing other people and i have no way of locking them up putting them on trial and so forth or if they're actively killing tons of people at the moment like thanos like if the avengers get a shot at thanos and they're like we can't take him out we got to put him in jail like you know like he's literally yeah. trying to kill the universe i can't justify that you know now i will mm. say i am jewish i'm very sensitive to the holocaust and genocide you know like i'm the guy that's like if we could kill hitler we should do it i'm not about killing bad guys people in general but genocidal killers you know, like you have to take them out if you get the shot to save other people. But even more so, Tim, the question I really wanted to ask, because that one could go on forever, is there's this notion that Vader is redeemed, okay? 
in the original trilogy. And mm-hmm. I never saw that. I saw it as he redeemed himself in the eyes of his son and he he saved his son and reestablished that link and that was what was so touching and it was convenient that he died but if Vader doesn't die in Return of the Jedi you still need to put him behind bars and you know yeah. make him put him on trial and it's even worse with Kylo because of all the trigger warning guys all of the Raylo shippers out there including people I have on my podcast who want Ray and Kylo to get together or we're going to save Kylo he's going to be good and blah 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 you know what if Kylo goes good and says he's sorry he doesn't forgive him for all of his genocidal sins just like we shouldn't forgive Vader and I think the Star Wars comics actually whether you like certain arcs or not actually uh, explore this very deeply in an adult way and that's why i love afra is that she's a terrible person who while she does go away from darth vader continues to do bad things but feels bad about them and knows that she's doing bad things luke keeps trying to save her like luke tries to save everybody i'm not trying to say we don't bring people to the light side but do you see where i'm going with this i'm I'm very disturbed in particular about kylo that there is a redemption arc you know i'm not saying he has Mm. to die I think Ray will kill him ultimately, even if she feels bad about it. But there's a difference between saying you're sorry and forgiving your, your genocidal sin. Sorry, I just went on for a while there, but I do want your thoughts about this and you can bring in the comics, the movies, whatever. No. Yeah. I think that's a general, general, like big speculation of what's going to happen in the fate of Kylo as far as you're, cause you're right. You make up a good point. And going back to Vader too, like he said it was convenient that he died. It was, I mean, it's, it's beautiful storytelling, but if he did survive, yeah, he'd be, you know, put on trial, be locked up and maybe probably even executed as a war criminal. I mean, yeah. So, but with Kylo, it's, I see, I have a hard time thinking that he's going to be redeemed and I don't probably don't want to see him be redeemed because it's another, you know, going back to Vader, stories telling similarities which i know we go into the whole thing of star wars in the movies rhyming with each other and it wouldn't be the worst thing but at the same time i would like to see it go in a different direction and at the same time i don't know if they're going to kill him off either so i'm kind of thinking that he might do some like self-imposed exile or where they might do it where ray thinks he's dead but he's actually survived but there's no way off of a planet or something like that because i could picture him maybe even being like if they go back to Octo or something and he's stranded there with no way out <laughs> or he does a self-imposed exile like Luke did to kind of pay for his sins in a way type of thing. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go with that. But yeah, that is a great point as far as, you know, if he is redeemed and he does survive, what does that mean? Especially for it being the last of the Skywalker saga. <laughs> I think that'd be something pretty big that we want to find out what goes on with if Kylo does be redeemed, he turns back to the light side or whatnot. What does happen to him afterward? Because I can't imagine it's just always forgiven and let's help restore the galaxy now. (laughs) He has got to pay for his crime somehow. So yeah, it is an interesting topic. It's not an easy one to discuss as far as like something being so clear cut on where a story should go when it's a character who's done some horrible things like that. And, but now they're, you know, being trying to seek redemption and whatnot. So yeah, so I, that's what kind of I see with Kylo going. I'll probably be totally wrong, but I can see like a self-imposed exile or just him being stranded somewhere with no hopes of getting off, but yet still being alive. It's mm-hmm. kind of like paying for his sins, but yet I mean, not not being killed for it, though. If I know Star Wars and I know Lucasfilm and I know J.J. Abrams, he is going to die similarly to Vader saving Rey at the end because mm, I can see that too. Yeah. That would conveniently take care of all of the things we just talked about, but mm. let's be honest, dude. And we'll bring in rebels. Cause we don't have a ton of time. I do want to hear about rebels as well. Uh, which is 
Ezra and Kanan and crew kill bad guys all the time. I don't care what Lucasfilm yep. says, but it only Kanan flipped yeah. out some stormtroopers yeah. in the, his final episode <laughs> off of, of a window. I mean, the, the 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 first Great Rebels episode is episode four or five, which is the Luminara episode where yeah. he, he doesn't want to train ezra right and that's the first episode we're really with ezra and annoyed at kanan because he hasn't even tried and he keeps saying i'm gonna push you off on on luminara but that's where we also see kanan overpowered to a great degree for the first time yeah. and he is just ragdolling stormtroopers left and right um and i think that's a side note part of why they're d- distinguishing between the shows specifically for kids and these shows for adults now is that you know rebels is too dark for some of the younger kids and not dark enough or adult enough for some of the adults for me it was great i love rebels but um i guess the point i wanted to make is while Ezra does kill bad guys regularly, it's when he's getting joy out of it and using his force powers in an extreme way to do it, right? Like, you know, the scene in the beginning of season three premiere. Yes, yes. You know exactly where I'm going, where he takes, where he has the, uh, the, uh, the walker walk itself Mm -hmm. off the side of the cliff and he's almost smiling in pleasure at it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what that's like the that's the emperor. That's the Palpatine thing. Right. It, 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 and that's the thing about the Jedi, again, is that sometimes you do have to kill for a greater purpose. The United States' hegemony in this world is specifically based on this principle. Like we are safe today because sometimes our government, when they're not horrible, as it is right now, spoiler alert, this is just me. I don't want to talk for Tim. But when we do, you know, even Barack Obama, who I'm a big supporter and defender of, you know, he he was involved in killing Osama bin Laden, you know, and I was definitely the difference is I was not celebrating when Osama was killed and I hated the people who were like celebrating. I was relieved and I thought it had to happen because let's be honest, like what he caused to our country and to the world, more to the world than even to our country, what happened in the Middle East because of Al Qaeda and is still happening. He had to go, but I was never celebrating it. And Luke, while he kills bad guys on screen and in the comics, man, he doesn't celebrate it. And that's, that I think is mm-hmm. the difference in my opinion. No, I think you're dead on. And even that, I don't remember the exact dialogue with the in the Battlefront two story campaign yes. that level where you play with Luke. So that good. was like the perfect uh. example of yeah, like this is how he views like war and like killing when he has to and not taking pleasure in it. So like great stuff in there too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and Del right, Del Mico says yeah. Well, you've killed all these, you know, all these these Imperials or whatever. You know, you're gonna kill me. And I, I forget the exact dialogue, but Luke's mm-hmm. like, you're making a choice here. You know, like. I, I, I'm not going to kill you because of what you did in the past. I'm going to let you live and help and help me and try and help you because of your future choices. And mm-hmm. that was the most interesting narrative choice in that campaign. And one of the more vi- interesting narrative choices in any video game was that Dell and not the lead character was the one to turn, turn first specifically because of Luke's attitude. And to me, it's, it's both, it's more realistic and more humane. Like I don't think it's humane to keep someone locked up prison for their entire lives. I also don't think it's humane for the threat. And let's be honest, especially DC comics, all the Batman villains always escape and kill more people. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, like to me now uh, the big debate, Tim, which you don't have to get into here, is what's escapism about right and i have a lot of contributors who more agree with you or i don't put words in your mouth who more agree with the batman thing who say well escapism is nobody dies including the 
bad guys. For me, escapism is not that we kill bad guys, but that the good guys get justice and we do whatever we need to do to put bad guys away or permanently or, or whatever, because that doesn't happen in real life. In real life, the people who aren't supposed to die, die, and the people who shouldn't live. Um, but it just depends what you're looking for in escapism. So to get off that, that high horse of, moral, of moralizing, let me ask you, okay, you don't like Screaming Citadel, neither does Paul, nobody likes it, that's fine. <laughs> what comics do you like? Uh, well, let me, let me start with this. Do you agree with me? And I think what Paul brought up that at least from a lore standpoint, we're getting more meat from the, the comics than the books. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Paul brought that up on our last episode, which was great. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it, but it was a great question. And I tend to agree when we think about it, more big moments seem to happen in the comics than in the novels. Well, we got some great novels, but stuff that really sticks with you, I think has come more from the comics and the biggest one is when Luke, for me anyways, when Darth Vader found out Luke was his son and not really a crossover, but I forget the exact number. I think it was like issue six or five from the main Star Wars title yep. and the first Darth Vader si- title. They were Those two stories kind of intertwined together in telling that story of Darth Vader finding out Luke was his son with Boba Fett being involved. And that moment where Luke or Darth Vader puts the pieces together and he realizes that Luke is his son. And then you get panels showing like Darth Vader thinking about him talking with Padme and Revenge of the Sith and God, it was so went, good. Oh my God. Yeah, the Vader like everything went amazing. wrong in his life, but now he kind of has that re- renewed hope <laughs> that there is like, he has family out there and he can use it, bring him in. Like we saw on empire, what he wanted to do, which is really well done. And then they were getting more stuff like that into Darth Vader comic, the new one that's going on right now by Charles. Soule. some, mm-hmm. I think required reading. <laughs> if yeah. you're a Darth Vader, I think fan. all of them. I like the 2015, 2016 too. But yeah, the new stuff's amazing. Go ahead. There was there was some like in the middle portion of it, some issues or story arcs I wasn't a huge fan of. But the Charles Soule one that's going on right now, there has been no disappointments yet for me. It's all it's been from great to just good. So that's like there's no bad or bad in there. It's just like good or great. It's like him. The first story arc is great. I mean, I just loved how it took place immediately after Revenge of the Sith, where he rises up after the construction he was put in his suit, and we see what happens after that. And then this him going on his journey to retrieve his, you know, create his Sith lightsaber, and just what's going on internally. We get these great visual panels of what it's like in Darth Vader's mind when he's meditating. It's like this red silhouette of flame. That's like you see the hatred around him. They're just so much great stuff and just going into the psyche of Darth Vader and these issues is just so so good and then this last one I don't know if you read it I haven't no uh-uh. okay I won't go into spoilers but I will just say that no other issue or story that I've read recently has brought to life Obi-Wan's word and words in the new hope where he says you know Vader helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights like that's on full display in this last issue it's oh. great so yeah, I yeah saw I, Justin posted about that as well. It must be great. Yeah, it really is. Almost like each issue kind of outdoes the other <laughs> when it comes out. There's just so much good stuff, which is great because with be- with less than sp- uh, spectacular writing, Vader isn't the most interesting character in terms of wanting to re- read month to month. But the writing for him has been so good and getting better that I've read so many Darth Vader comics. It's not that I don't love Vader as a bad guy, but normally I'm the guy who'd rather read about Luke, Han, or even Afra or Poe rather than Vader. But the Vader comics have just been excellent. I think if you don't like afra certainly you're not going to like the 2015 2016 run clearly the new stuff is great i think i'm in the middle of whatever is volume two of the new run and i i love it that padme stuff is seared in my brain it's so beautiful yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah that was another thing where he kind of has like those 
moments where he's thinking about what life could have been like <laughs> like what if it wasn't he didn't go to the dark side and he still was with padme and you know, there's tons of good stuff where like i said going into the psyche what darth vader's mindset is at during this time period so close mm-hmm. after revenge of the sith is just so so good so do you think yeah, anyone have to yeah. check that out like that sh- if you mm-hmm. haven't gotten into star wars comics and you don't know they're great. To start with they're darth great. vader's the first one you should check out i think well, I mean, if you start with the original 2015 Vader, you kind of have to also read the first few volumes of the original Star Wars, right? Yeah, because a little they, bit. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, I think the comics are the perfect place to explore this. I, I think, do you think part of the, let me ask you this, do you think part of the reason is uh, the new uh, 2017 uh, plus Vader is so successful is that people really wanted to know about post episode three vader even more than post episode four if that makes sense no i think so because that's what i thought <laughs> that's yeah. the time period i'm really more interested in as yeah. well so and we've gotten a lot of stuff that's my only knock on the comics really or my big knock is that so much of the stuff we've gotten early on it's getting a little better we're just all like taking place between episode four and episode five yeah. and it's kind of got a little too much so the fact once we got the announcement that Darth Vader, the news volume, will be taking place after Revenge of Sith, I was like, sign me up. <laughs> this is like my most anticipated comic now. So yep. it's delivered. I mean, you can or cannot respond to this. I want to put you on the spot. Part of the reason I like Afra is, okay, first of all, guys, if you're going to read the Star Wars comics, which are very good, you have to get used to the fact that they use a very photorealistic style when it comes to their faces. Like, yeah. there are certain shots of Han, Leia, and Luke that look directly from the movies, which is extremely arresting, Tim, at first. But once I got used to, I'm like, this is a really nice break from Marvel DC. And I read a lot of image comics, and part of the reason I like Screaming Citadel is that that bloody red, black, and white style is very similar to what mm-hmm. they do in image, which is more stylized, more character-focused, less focused on plot and substance it's just very pretty and dark whatever but um but you know what i mean do you agree with like the facial stuff that it's it's a little arresting after reading x-men and batman to see the star wars characters like that but maybe you have to do that because it's coming from the movies right yeah i can see i kind of like it i know no i do too it just took me a little bit to get used to it no yeah i understand that especially in the main star wars title that's the one that has that that art style where it looks real like, like poe too know. though the poe mm-hmm. comics look very i mean yeah, yeah the more recently too i think mm-hmm. so yeah i think the star wars one in general yeah. but so okay so the reason i love afra is it's extre- it's dark and bloody but funny and she's kind of a deadpool-esque character who's very fourth wall breaking about everything going on and so if you're into fourth wall breaking characters you might like her I know it's very split in the community between people who love Afra, who are indifferent and who don't like her. But I think the response to Afra is sort of emblematic of the split within the Star Wars community. But I also think that's a great example, Tim. You know, again, you can weigh in if you like her or not, but more so when you weigh in on Afra is a great example of like, just let people like it if they like it. And if you don't like it, don't read it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And don't, shout out that you don't like something that's, that's what gets annoying where mm-hmm. no one's asking if you say you don't like it once fine that's okay yeah 
if you're looking forward to it and you didn't like it, you say it, that's okay, but don't like keep beating a dead horse of saying you don't like something. That's where it gets really <laughs> like off putting and annoying. Well, look, I have one or two questions to let you go. I know your, your time is short and I really appreciate it. I will say though, I think we can agree the fact that Afra is a person of color and gay and they don't really talk about it as such much is very <laughs> commendable uh, of Lucas. To me, it's not rubbing it in your face. If you're very mm-hmm. offended by women kissing women, then you might be offended by it. But to me, she's just a character who happens to like women um, and is a person of color, but they never say it. Well, I guess, you know, people of color, that's the, uh, the irony of going after Kelly Marie Tran for being Asian is in the, in the Star Wars universe. She's just another person as she mm-hmm. should be in real life as well. Exactly. Right? But, yeah. but mm-hmm. do you agree with me at least that, that it's, it's admiral that Lucasfilm is trying to get these characters out there and not, you know, not overly politicizing it, I think. Sure. Yeah. Just let, let it be in the story that they're telling too. Like you said, not over like doing it to draw attention <laughs> to it, to make it more important than like the story aspect of it. So totally. yeah, I totally agree. And look, the fact that you, in terms of sales, Tim, and number of volumes, you got Star Wars, you got Vader, you got Poe, and you got Dr. fucking Afra. So whatever you think about her, she is doing well in terms of sales, a completely new character based just in the comics who's gay, a woman, and a person of color, I think actually speaks positively about Star Wars fans. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we've seen some of the naysayers out there talking about you know what the afro comic is like unneeded or like just trying to you know shoehorn in that aspect of like of a character like that in star wars but at the same time there's a a fan base was established with their character in the darth vader Mm -hmm. miniseries so you could definitely see that being the reason why they decided to give her own comic because like even before the comic was announced you saw like Afra becoming a more popular character in like, the fan community and seeing cosplayers of Afra a lot at conventions and celebrations. So it just made to me the sense as far as why they would do that and have her be a character they've decided to give her own title to. Mm-hmm. All right, man. I really appreciate you being on. So I have two more quick questions if you're cool with that and, and I'll let you go. Well, let's go for it. Okay. So, what do you think of the current state of the actual books of Star Wars? Because when I first started getting into it, I, of course, went immediately to the Rogue One books, um, uh, Catalyst, which I actually think is great. Uh, but if nothing else, if you love Rogue One, it's great backstory yeah, on the Earth. I thought it was really good, too. Krennic, yeah. yeah. And I'm actually listening to the audiobook. I've read it. I'm now listening to the audiobook, and it's fantastic. Nice. Um, Jonathan Davis. Um, I then read Bloodline because I love Leia, and I think Bloodline is one of the best science fiction books, period, I've read in years. Now, I'm a little biased. I think Claudia Gray's great. I mean, I really like Lost Stars. I think Bloodline is amazing book, just in general, but January Lavoie, who does the voice acting, who's one of like the top voice actors on, on Audible for books in general, sounds... She doesn't just sound like older Leia, but she captures it so well. She's also a woman who does great impressions of men, like including Han uh. Solo, which is fantastic. Fantastic, you know what I mean? Um, and there are just characters like Ransom Casterfo, and, and it just it's it's a great book, and it completely to me explains uh, the bizarre politics behind Episode Seven, the First Order, yeah. and the Resistance, and so forth. So I love that. My problem is, while I really like Rebel Rising, I mean Rebel Rising is technically a teen book, but it is dark as shit, which Jin Erso <laughs> has to go through. Um, which again, yeah. you know, I love Jin, so I love that, and I love Ahsoka. But again, I listened to Ahsoka with. Ashley Eckstein. So those are the four main books. 
I got through most of the third aftermath book. I uh, the problem is Mark Thompson reads so many of the books, and I don't like him. He's he's uh. <laughs> his impersonation, in particular of Anakin. Sorry, guys, trigger warning. His impersonation of Anakin and Padme in the new Thrawn book is beyond laughable it's unlistenable now (laughs) i'm going to read it because i love thrawn and i love that story and i love these characters and i want it but the aftermath book to me is and i know those books and i mean forget audiobooks aftermath books were kind of controversial for various reasons i guess what i'm saying tim is i've read the three or four books i've really wanted to read and like most of them are claudia gray books and i'm excited for the obi-wan uh book with claudia gray and i'm kind of excited for the padme book with ek johnson he wrote ahsoka for a lot of reasons in general though i i don't think they've established enough of a boundary between what's young adult and what's adult with the books and it's sort of I don't know, left me so-so on them. Not to mention what I said before, which is the great lore and storytelling seems to be happening in the comics. So I don't put any words in your mouth. I want you to talk openly. Tell me about which books you like and what you think about the sort of new canon books in general. Yeah, for the most part, I think they've been solid. There's been some, but it's been more of a mixed bag where there's some I haven't liked and then some I really like. Oh, Genuine Lavoie does Phasma, by the way. Uh, oh, okay. Phasma is just... Well, I don't have that problem with audiobooks because I pretty much just read the straight up novels. And if I really like it, I would probably go back and listen to an audio. Oh, book no, I was just it. saying, I know you love Phasma and I make fun of Phasma, but I love January Lavoie. The Phasma book was interesting. <laughs> she does a great job with the Phasma book. Go cool. ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That might be one I have to listen on audio She's to great. you, but yeah. Great. So like the aftermath books, those are probably the biggest disappointments. I really don't like those books. I mean, the Empire's end, one that set up the battle of Jakku was the best one. Mm-hmm. That's some, cool parts in it but i really didn't take to any of those new characters and found them to be quite annoying actually yep. so but then you get like you said the ones you mentioned i'm a big fan of i love catalyst i love uh, lost stars is one of my favorite you made great points about bloodline that was a great story too and provided a lot of needed backstory for the force awakens as far as like how the politics and the state of the galaxy was and i'm really loving uh well, i just finished actually a few days ago thrawn alliances and that was really great. I thought there was the interaction between Vader and Thrawn was <laughs> was really yeah. cool. To be and it was, just to clarify, just, I'm not dissing the book. I just didn't like the audio book, and I'm definitely going to read the book. Sure, yeah, yeah good. <laughs> but yeah, it was like going back and forth between a Clone Wars and Rebels episode, pretty much. It was just really great because before the other book, last book I read before Thrawn Alliances was the Han Solo and Lando one, Last Shot. That one I heard great things about it, so I was excited to go into it. But I thought it was just okay, and I think a lot of it was because it jumped around too much. You got mm. the Lando past story, you got the Han and Chewie past story, you got the present story, and it kind of took for a while for it to all come together to what the main threat was. What's with Ron Alliances where it's just, you know, jumping from two time periods between the Clone Wars and, you know, the Civil War era, it makes it a lot easier to follow and connect connect with better when it's just those two storylines and eras that you're following. And I was captivated by both. That's what, what's great about it. Um, probably at the end of the day, I would say that the Vader and Thrawn stuff was my favorite part of it. But at the same time, it wasn't like I was reading the Anakin, Thrawn, and Padme stuff going, oh, okay, let's hurry up and get back to Thrawn and Vader. It was like, no, I was like in, captivated with every aspect of that book, no matter where it was taking place. So that was a really good one. So... Yeah, then there's just been some you know ones that were just okay. Like uh, Infernal Squadron was you know good, not great. Same with the uh, Claudia Gray's Leia that had its moments, but kind of a little slow to get through <laughs> in certain aspects of it. But there was some great stuff with Leia and Bail Organa and uh, his wife, who I'm 
break blanking on her name right now, <laughs> which you know, going to kick myself later on. But uh, that was some great stuff in the family dynamic between Leia and her foster parents in that book. So, uh, yeah, so again, a lot of great stuff, okay stuff. And then pretty much just the aftermath ones, the ones I just flat out say I didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> Not all the ones I've Which read so far. Which is shitty because it's the only trilogy of books they've done. And it is supposed yeah. to be the heavy lore stuff that we want. And by the way, I think the John Favreau series is going to basically be the corrective slash expansion of the lore we wanted from Aftermath, and we'll finally. <laughs> I wouldn't get. be surprised yeah. because let's be honest. At this point, we don't need to know what happens before the Battle of Jakku, but it will be really interesting to hear what happens right after the Battle of Jakku. It will be fascinating, right? I think that's when the Favreau series takes place. Yeah, so it's about three years, I think, after Return of the Jedi. Oh, so before Battle of Jakku? Because I'm hearing different no, things. No, Jakku's okay. Jakku's only like a year after, I believe, if okay. I remember right. Guys, listen to Tim. I don't know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> but, do, but, it, but look, the fact that Leia, Princess of Alderaan, was so-so, and I agree. I'm having trouble getting through it, and I'm reading the physical book. Claudia Gray is so great, as we've talked about with Lost Stars and, and, um, and Bloodline. It's just unlike the comics, it's not clear why they're telling some of these stories. Like the Ahsoka story, post-Order 66, clearly needed to be told. We really want it. I personally loved it. I think you're on board with me. I don't agree with the critics of that book. Like we needed to see Ahsoka with all her force powers. I thought it was more interesting that she was trying to hide and not use her force powers. Mm. Made more sense, right? And But we got Siege of Mandalore teases, which we're now going to get in the fucking Clone Wars, which is great. So I'm just not sure why they're writing some of these books. I'm not sure why Phasma, and I know you love Phasma, man, so I'm not going to shit on Phasma here, but let's be <laughs> honest. In terms of screen time compared to her getting her own book, it doesn't quite make sense, especially when she's basically a cold-blooded, selfish killer from the beginning in the book. I'm not sure, like, even Vader, you can find things to root for with him. I'm never rooting for Phasma, and the book didn't do it for me. I'm not sure why they're telling some of these stories, um, you know, while there's others. Do you think it's just a holding pattern? I have one more question I'll let you go. Do you think this is a holding pattern because they can't tell new saga stories until episode nine's wrapped up? I think that plays a part of it. Like, I'm sure I bet we're going to get tons of Luke books after episode nine <laughs> and yeah. telling, taking place what happened between Jedi and mm-hmm. uh, Force Awakens. So yeah, I think that's part of it. At the same time, too, but they want to focus on some characters who maybe mm-hmm. didn't get explored enough in the movies like Phasma. And I'm thankful for that because <laughs> now we have this great story that showed where she came from. And to me, elevated the character even more now that I've read that story, which is cool. So I can understand that aspect, too, where. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they don't have access to the main ones, that's good to shed some light on some of the sure. characters who didn't get exposed enough in the movies. And, and we're getting Gwendolyn Christie in the Resistance trailer, which, you mm-hmm. know, is for kids. I think you and I are on the same page of approaching this as this is for kids, but we're still going to love it because it's Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so my final question is about Rebels. I will say, though, man, I hope the books we start getting after Episode Nine follow the Timothy, Timothy Zahn of the 90s formula of let's go forward with Ray. And this addresses Paul's thing about the Skywalkers is we don't need to keep making movies about the Skywalkers, but I would love to see what happens to Ray, Poe and Finn, assuming they live Mm -hmm. post episode nine, right? We don't need to keep filling in backstories. I do want to go forward. And so with Ryan Johnson and with the game of Thrones guys, I hope they go into the future, into the far past or into another galaxy. And we're not as much. as I love rogue one and solo. I'm ready to, to go different places in different time periods. No, yeah, that's what these vast majority of new films yeah. that we're getting is the beauty of it. They can play around in different areas. At least I hope so. I mean, that's the freedom that they have now, especially you know when you got two series. I mean, one's a trilogy with Ryan Johnson, and the other one by the Game of Thrones guys are 
being billed as a series. So we don't know the All exact right. amount, but that's the beauty of it. They can go wherever they want. <laughs> so right, I man. think that's going to be the case with, especially with Ryan Johnson, because they've been yes. kind of hinting about yeah. that as far as taking place in somewhere that mm-hmm. time period we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, this is where everything comes together in the final question. It doesn't always happen like this, but this is great. So guys, initially Tim and I were going to do some commentaries together, but really I just wanted to have a conversation with him. And, uh, but I, I did want to ask you about your rewatch of rebel season four, uh, the Blu-rays, but specifically about the amazing world between worlds episode. I've actually, done a commentary for it i'm now going back doing a lot of rebels commentaries and so forth tim again patting myself on the back i've been saying they're going to introduce some form of time slash um sort of subspace travel in star wars i've been saying this for a long time i am a star trek fan i don't want star wars to go fully star trek Mm. I, I do think it's interesting for me. I watch the world between the worlds where we see Ahsoka come back, survive Vader and go what's essentially, you know, um, a uh, quantum realm between all the various worlds and the galaxies and potential different times in the galaxy. To me, that's clearly time travel. What's going on. A lot of star Wars fans aren't into it. So I do want to hear general thoughts about your revisitation uh, of season four, but we don't have a lot of time. So while I have you, let me ask you about that episode in particular as an example of some of the directions they went in season four do you think this was just Filoni having fun wanting to do fun stuff with Ahsoka because he loves doing fun stuff with Ahsoka or do you think there's some sort of you know deeper lore philosophical stuff going on late in season four culminating in that episode no yeah I think it's the latter and first off yeah that episode I loved it when it first aired and I love it even more (laughs) every time I see it I watched it twice since the (laughs) blu-ray came out love it so much mm-hmm. just what it brought to the table in regards to star wars yeah. and the force and yeah it's, it's yeah the dave filoni as we said before he sat at the table of the master george lucas who talked about the force and what it means nonstop. i mean dave filoni had access like no other to george lucas and his knowledge and what he views as the force and he i think he's bringing in what he was taught into these episodes he's not just kind of you know what this would be a fun idea to do with ahsoka i mean maybe that's a place a little bit of it but this is all coming from his knowledge of the forest that he was taught by George Lucas. And I think that's why the episodes turned that, that one in particular turned out so well and made it believable to me. And yeah, I don't, I never kind of disappointed when I hear fans don't like it because it those seems like anything that's done new with the force, it scares off people or some fans who don't want it to evolve or not evolve, but just be explored more and learn new things about it. That's the beauty of the force to me. The fact that, you know, it's not limited to just what we see in the original trilogy. We're just getting new things added to it the more stories we get. And I think that's awesome because imagine how, you know, unfun it would be if the Force was just limited to kind of what Ray says, lifting rocks and mind-controlling people. I mean, the fact that it's just so much more than that is, you know, even more than we got in the original trilogy after Obi-Wan and Yoda teaches it to Luke. I mean, Clone Wars has given us... The, or I should say the Star Wars animation in general, Clone Wars and Rebels, has given us some of the definitive explanations and story aspects of the Force that we I never would have imagined that we would have gotten. And I would love to see kind of that type of storytelling about the Force mm. explored in films where it goes to stuff we're not too familiar with and introduces new thing, new and crazy things. Because like you said, that you know, world between worlds, that realm was just something that blew my mind and something I never really thought about seeing in Star Wars. But it was just really cool to I mean, hearing those voices of the past, future, and present that Ezra was hearing from the movies, it just gives me chills every time I hear it. And then you throw into uh, so or Ezra saving Ahsoka, and that's how she survived her fight with Vader. It's just brilliant. I mean, it all lines up perfectly to that 
tease we got in the season two finale of Ahsoka walking down those stairs. And even though Dave Filoni tried to play it like, oh, is that really her? I'm not sure. We all knew it was her, but how she got there and how she got through the fight with Vader was always a big question. And the fact that we got our answer like we did in the world between worlds is just amazing <laughs> that that's the reason why it just to me it just makes total sense when you think about it too and just went in the grander scheme of things with the force and how it uses different beings to you know play their part in the galaxy that they need to in certain aspects of it so it is just great on every single level i love it to death <laughs> as you could probably totally. tell as i'm talking about it totally i love you loving it because i love it too and yeah. it doesn't mean that we're gonna have doctor who type traveling all over the place exactly people. yeah mm-hmm. but but tim i will say you know we know and this this was my earlier criticism not my earlier comment about the holy birth of anakin but specifically about lucas's love of eastern philosophy is that there's been a lot written in the past few decades and beyond about similarities between Buddhism and Taoism and what we now know as quantum physics, having to do with the uncertainty principle and the uncertainty of the universe. The closer we look at reality, the less we know about it. The multiverse was something predicted by Eastern philosophy well before it became a thing. In Western philosophy, what I'm saying is Dave Filoni, as a disciple of Lucas and a super smart, heady guy who devours this sort of shit for breakfast, I'm sure has been dealing with, okay, how can i introduce you know some interesting eastern philosophy quantum physics links but make it star warsy and accessible to the mainstream um you know but also interesting artistically and that's what they did so great was mm. whether it was the gate itself so with the wolves and the, t- the two-dimensional yeah. anime or, or the oh, very dear. very very minimalist style of the doors i mean to me the in terms of film the most reminiscent thing is uh in the matrix reloaded the second matrix movie when neo goes to the back doors and you see this mm. endless hallway of doors with a white background yeah. and all the doors look the same. Now, this is a thing that's actually what I want to ask you about and then we'll close out. It's actually a fantasy thing, the, the, the world between the worlds. It's actually a fantasy trope because in fantasy, you think, well, you know, they don't like in Middle Earth, for example, or think of Game of Thrones or your favorite fantasy, like they would never think of their world, any worlds beyond their own. But in fact, the, you know, most powerful and smart sorcerers who are essentially force users, let's be honest, do actually think about these things and do occasionally discover it. And I was thrilled for them to work it in. And you say, well, they've got to be careful with how they use it. We don't want them time traveling all over. But dude, my prediction about this happening over a year ago was not like i want time travel in star wars it was i was trying to figure out how to because I'm, I'm still trying to work on an ahsoka obi-wan storyline and i'm like in, in an own book of mine i was like how can i have obi-wan have an adventure potentially with ahsoka while on tatooine he can't leave tatooine he can't leave luke for any extended period of time or at all right mm-hmm. so yeah. how could he possibly have an adventure with ahsoka well what if he you know found some sort of time travel thing or some sort of stargate stargate's the other uh i mean there was a lot of stargate um visual cues in the gate of, of world between worlds except instead of the the egyptian symbols right we had like the wolves and and mm-hmm. so forth but it was very similar so some sort of stargate or some sort of time travel so i guess what i'm saying tim is despite my book it's all about serving story purposes i thought introducing something like that would be great for story i thought feloni nailed it and i have no worry that they will use it sparingly going forward to give us great stories whether it's ryan johnson or the game of thrones guys or or whoever but we need to expand beyond you know uh you know bb you know 
30 BBY or whatever and plus 30 BBY, whatever the fuck time period we're in, yeah. right? <laughs> we need to expand beyond. And Thrawn, this will be final thought. I'll give you final thought. And maybe bring in Thrawn Alliances, which is Thrawn is the link in, in, from a spatial sense of going beyond the galaxy, right? Yeah, I mean, he's been teasing about that whole unknown regions stuff and what's out there besides him and the Chiss Empire and all that yeah. stuff. Or I don't like to call it the Chiss Empire or something else, but the Chiss uh, government that's in the uh, unknown regions there. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. And just where he, him and Ezra are at now, too, <laughs> at the end of Rebels is where exactly they were taken, too. I mean, part of me thinks they were taken probably more into those unknown regions. And I don't know. I'll, I'll make the prediction Go. right here. Go. We'll end on this. We're make a see- prediction. Go. We're going to see Ezra and Thrawn in Resistance somehow. I think we're going to see it. We're going to get that answer on Resistance. Mm-hmm. Maybe not season one or season two, but by the time the series is over, I think we're going to see them again. Do you think we will see any of the following characters in movies or cartoons coming up? Ahsoka, Sabine, Hera. Um, I say definitely Sabine and Hera in Resistance. Ahsoka, I want to say yes too. In Resistance, it's like, I think all those characters that they Filoni established in Clone Wars and Rebels are going to show up in Resistance, especially how things were ended in the last episode of Rebels. They can easily mm-hmm. bring them in into that. So I think yes, and I still want to, even though it's unlikely, I still want to say yes for Ahsoka in a movie at some yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, look, I've been pushing for, you know, Rosario Dawson or whoever to be live Ahsoka, but to be honest with you, t- the easiest casting is Sabine because... Tia Sarkar, who voices Sabine, is an extremely up-and-coming actress who's been nominated in TV and in, in film for a wide number of shows. Her, her, she's on um, the award-winning uh, Kristen Bell, Ted Danson show, The Good Place, as well as a number of other leads that she's done. She's beautiful. She's a great actress. got a great voice. You know, Sabine is an alien, quote unquote, but who cares that that Tia Sarkar is Indian, right? Like, this is the whole point is like, let's cast people for their talent. Like, that would mm-hmm. be the easiest casting. And she's been on ABC already with TV shows and stuff. Like, she's in the Disney family. So as much as I want Ahsoka, it would be arresting to not hear Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka. I will agree with that. So why not just cast the person who is the youngest and most up and coming, you know, uh, award nominated actress that you already have, who's Tia Sarkar as Sabine would be my thought yeah I wouldn't mind that at all do it (laughs) do it and I don't think Sabine gets enough respect I mean I think all the rebels are great yeah they're great they're great so okay buddy that was awesome thank you so much um, as always for your honesty and insight and everything else and for what you're doing on your podcast I'm going to let you promote the podcast now but of course it doesn't matter that much because I promote the shit out of your guys' podcast <laughs> and we'll continue- appreciate, man. Yeah, I will continue to do so guys if you want a great Star Wars podcast and yes I'm biased because you guys are from my generation and generally see eye to eye with me but again you guys have very diverse opinions and the stuff that counts and have great discussion so tell the people about the saga continues and where they can find you yeah, so uh, Saga Continues, you can pretty much where we do most of our interaction is on Twitter. So you can follow us there at Star Wars TSC and then our website where we post, you know, the news topics when official announcements come out and our podcast episodes are hosted at uh, www.starwarstsc.com. And then for me, for my personal Twitter account, you can follow me at Tim G 311. 
Absolutely. And guys, if you if if you respectfully and smartly tweet Tim, he will get back to you. But don't be an asshole. But if you're listening to this, <laughs> my podcast, the way I deal with assholes, Tim, they're probably not listening at this point. So you good people out there, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely check out TSC. Um, great stuff. Tim, thank you so much, man. And you, you guys, uh, you're have, welcome. you guys think you have a podcast coming up? Yeah, we're hopefully should probably record some a new one probably mm. sometime by the end of this week. Hopefully have out by this weekend or next week, probably more likely. <laughs> Got to recap the resistance trailer the coming out. Can you tease the topic? Yeah, <laughs> resistance trailer. Okay. I mean, we have yet to break that down yet. So, like, just to talk to Kyle and Paul about that, and then also about the Favreau's TV show. There's been some rumors about what it might be about, which has us pretty excited too. So, <laughs> much probably going to be our main discussion topics, unless. We get more interesting breaking news as the weeks go or as the few days go by this week. So we shall see. But those uh, story topics for sure. Awesome. 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 Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you. The saga continues. Thank you, listeners. It's been a great couple months in terms of podcast downloads and listens. I appreciate everybody's support. We got more coming at you very soon in Star Wars and other properties. Uh, But for now, the Bizzlecast is out.